is Lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Fire is catching, and if we burn, you burn with us. It's The Hunger Games Mockingjay, part one, and this film is lit. Hello, and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We're in the end game. It is part one of our Mockingjay finale duology i guess i don't know for lack of a better word we're in our summer series we're wrapping up the hunger games uh katie explained it in the last episode but we're doing mockingjay part one this week and then in one week's time exactly one week we won't have a prequel episode on that normal uh when we normally would next wednesday you will get mockingjay part two and there will be a little short prequel episode out sometime in between now and next wednesday so we're going to get right into it. We got a lot to talk about. Not quite. I don't think this episode will quite be the, you know, borderline four hours that or yeah, full four hours yeah. that the, the the Catching Fire episode was. Uh, it's because we're splitting a book in half. We don't have quite as many notes for each one, but we do have quite a bit to talk about. So let's get right into our first segment. Let me sum up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. After being rescued from the 75th Hunger Games arena, Katniss Everdeen finds herself hidden away in secretive District 13, where they've managed to elude capital control. But her problems are far from over. PETA was captured and is in the capital's clutches, District 12 has been bombed into nothing, and the leadership of District 13 wants Katniss to be the face of the rebellion, the Mockingjay. But Katniss doesn't trust them or their motivations. Katniss finally agrees to be the Mockingjay, but is put off by having to play a role on a stage where so many lives hang in the balance. Nonetheless, the rebellion builds to a tipping point, and the capital ultimately launches an attack directly on District 13. Following that, District 13 decides to undertake a covert operation to rescue PETA and a few other former tributes from the capital. But PETA is not the boy he used to be. After he attacks Katniss, it's revealed that the Capitol hijacked him to turn him against Katniss and her mission. All right, that is the first half, about the first 180 or so pages of Mockingjay. It's like literally exactly the halfway. Yeah, mark. it is. It's pretty much right in the middle. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's Mockingjay. If you haven't read or watched, you got a little bit uh, of frame of reference, but we're going to get into our main segments for these summer series episodes and that always starts with better in the book you like to read oh yes i love to read what do you like to read everything 
so starting right in at the beginning of the film, we open up on a scene with Katniss in the hallway, and we'll talk a little bit more about that at some point. But I wish, and when I was reading this book, the book opens up with her walking through the ashes of District 12. Mm-hmm. And I was envisioning that being the opening shot of the movie being like Katniss standing in this vast, like, yeah. you know, devastated landscape and it being such a striking visual way to open your film that I thought it would be the way to, to do it. And mm-hmm. I, I was for sure that was how they were going to open the movie. And when they didn't, I was a little disappointed. Basically the movie does open up the same way as the book in the sense that in the book we get Katniss going back and talking us through some of the things that have happened. Like she sort of re yeah. She like recaps recaps some events that have happened since the end of the last book. And those events she recaps is what the movie shows us first, basically like Mm -hmm. her at district 13, her becoming a little bit accustomed to it, meeting uh, president coin, all that stuff. Um, And I, I get it and I, it makes sense, but I really did like, the idea of opening up with that stark striking devastation of district 12 as like the opening shot yeah. of the film. I agree. I thought they might start with that and then maybe like pop back. Like the book. Yeah. Do yeah. what the book does basically. And I, I didn't mind the movie's tactic of starting out with like almost like a, a creepy unsettling mystery. Cause yeah. we, we start on like a very close in shot of her and hiding. she's yeah and she's hiding and she's in a very panicked state yeah, so yeah. especially if you don't remember a lot about the end of the last movie that's it, kind of an opening like oh my gosh where is she what's going on yeah and even if you do you could think oh something's happened what's yeah. you know like yeah, yeah you don't know what's going on um and I, I don't mind that but post that initial like unsettlingness i thought the beginning of this movie was kind of boring i agree it then, like, I, I get needing to introduce everything because, once again, we don't have the benefit of being in Katniss's thoughts yeah. like we do in the book. But it was a whole lot of exposition to yeah. start this movie off. There is a ton of exposition at the beginning, and it's I, I think it would have been it would have worked better. I think to start with the opening shot in with her in 12 and then, yeah, kind of like bring the camera into her face as she's think you know. And yeah. then jump back to District 13, do some, not flat, I don't know, because they haven't used flashbacks really and from my memory in any of the movies, so I don't, I'm sure they didn't want to start like doing flashbacks. Mm-hmm. But I think there would have been a way to do it um, that would have just been a more interesting opening. Um, not that the, not that the her walking around District 12 is particularly exciting, but it's at least, there's a lot of storytelling and stuff happening visually as opposed to expositionally and dialogue heavy. Yes. When she's walking through 12, like we see the wreckage of, you know, the town and the skulls. And then we see, you know, she goes to the Victor's village and her old house and collects stuff. And like, all that is like visual stuff that is at least a little more compelling than people sitting in rooms talking, which is Mm -hmm. a lot of what we get at the beginning of the movie. So, yeah, I, I think it could have been a slightly more successful open to the film than the way they did. Other than that very first moment is an interesting hook. Like it's at yeah, least a little yeah, bit is. intriguing. Um, speaking of district 13, I really wish they had set up district 13 more in the movies. Mm-hmm. It's in this movie we get there and it's just, we've never heard of it. I mean, I'm sure it's been mentioned. Once well, yeah, I think it's been mentioned in the movies, but we get a lot of setup in the book catching fire yeah. for district 13 that we 
just get none of in yeah the because we they cut the entire bonnie and twill plot line from catching fire where they're on their way there and they have yeah. backstory and the and and the whole thing with the footage being you know like the setting up this mystery of oh is there something in 13 all of that is sort of just dumped on your foot on your doorstep immediately at the beginning of yeah. this movie without much of groundwork being laid um and I, I thought that was a little kind of just a missed opportunity to set that up a little bit more. Um, I also thought the book just gives a little bit more interesting uh, sort of backstory. The movie does an OK job of sort of piecemealing this through sort of context over the course of the movie. Mm-hmm. But like in the book, we find out how they were able to survive in 13 with uh, because they had nukes uh, and sort of mutually assured destruction and they all went underground um, and then we get we get more information about like this, this that the fact that they're all infertile because of this uh, pox that happened a few years ago. And the pox is mentioned in the movie, but it's just like they mentioned it's an epidemic that killed off a bunch of kids. Yeah. I just thought there was a little bit more information about 13 that would have helped ground the sort of the setting of where most of this movie takes place. Right. Well, and I guess when they were piecing together the script for Catching Fire, they felt like it was a risk they were willing to take, like not really setting this yeah. up because surely like, they knew, right? Mm-hmm. Cause the books had yeah, already the books come out. out. I, by the time catching fire was being made, I'm pretty sure it was out. Yeah. And Suzanne Collins, if at the very least was, was involved in the production, right. she would have known it. It's not like this, you know, it's not like a, it's not even like a George R. R. Martin situation where like have no idea, right. hasn't written it, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like still figuring yeah. it out. So I guess they just felt comfortable that they would be able to accomplish this in, the Mockingjay films, but I'm not sure it worked for me. I, yeah, it works as again, having read the books, it works. I'm not sure how well it works. Not having read, not having read the books, I guess would be my biggest. Yeah. um, I agree. Issue. Um, So Katniss eventually does go to district 12 in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's not where we start, but she does eventually go see it. Um, And it, like I said in the, and let me sum up, it has been bombed to basically nothing. Yeah. Um, and one thing that we see in the book that we don't see in the movie is her at her old house. Her old house before she before they went like and her lived childhood in, home. Yeah, her childhood home, like the little hovel yeah. that they lived in. And the movie doesn't try to show it. Mm-mm. Maybe they thought we wouldn't recognize it. To be fair, yeah, it's bom- I don't know how you would necessarily yeah. recognize it because it is all bombed out. Right. Well, and we don't really see it in Catching Fire. No. Either. No. So we haven't seen it since the beginning no, of No, they don't make a particular one. point of it at anything. At, like, And there's definitely nothing distinguishing about it that would make it visually stand out. We know that mm-hmm. she's there in the book because we're, she's, we're in her head. But right. in the movie, I don't know how we would know unless she found something that, you know, made it obvious in, in the rubble, which they could have done. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a line in the book as she's walking through District 12 that I was <clears throat> thinking they may try to work in somehow having her say it or some version of it to somebody on the intercom or something because uh, it's a really striking line in the book that stuck out to me. Uh, and it, it's in her head in the book. She's As she's walking through uh, District 12, she thinks, it's not wondering what I breathe in, but who that threatens to choke me. Mm-hmm. And that's just a... Oof. Ter- horrifying line <laughs> and i thought they might try to figure out a way to use that yeah like again have her say it to gail on the com like not that exact line but something with it but they don't and that's fine uh we also find out that um a little bit in the book about what happened to bonnie and twill obviously bonnie and twill weren't mentioned in 
the movie, the second movie, so there's mm-hmm. no reason to. But we we find out that they most likely passed died trying to get the thirteen, at least as far as we know. Yeah, halfway through the book, um, they unless they show up later, which I guess is possible. And she was, you know, they they were somewhere else hiding out and make it the thirteen eventually, but they're not in thirteen, so she assumes they died. So back to the the subject of District Thirteen, I do want to talk about that a little bit because the movie made some and not really changes, but they did leave some stuff out. Yeah, it's not so much changes as it is omissions from of details, I yeah. guess. Yeah, which and uh, some of the details. <sighs> I We're going to talk about this here. I have a lot of notes about this. Yes, and this is do. as good a place as any to talk about it. So, uh, so, so we missed some of the some of the more dystopian details about District Thirteen yeah. in the movie. Uh, that was a note that I made as I was reading the book. Was like District Thirteen is just a different flavor of dystopia than the rest of this world is. Yes. Um. So you know things like they they get these daily schedules. Yeah. Um, they basically get like a temporary tattoo on their arm they every day. Tattoo on their inner forearm. Yeah. Y- which will, yep. That uh, schedules out like every, their entire day. Their entire like, day. Every minute. Yeah, every moment. There's one little joke I like where they have like at 1800 hours, she has reflection, which is yeah. just like sit and think. Just like, like, you know, just quiet like, time. Quiet time, yeah. Um, and then another thing that gets left out is how strict they are about food yeah. in District 13. And everything. They're just, yes, food specifically, but all kinds of stuff. They're mm-hmm. very um, not wasteful. They're yeah. very, uh, um, what was the word? <laughs> They're, well, the frugal, frugal, I guess you could yeah. say. Yeah, there's a word for it, but yeah. For yeah, like they, not... yeah they, they don't waste anything yeah. in District 13. Yeah. I had so I had a lot of feelings about that whole that the whole characterization of District 13. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of this in better in the movie in that I liked that it's tough because I think that creates those details create a more well realized right. setting. And that's why I had it yes. here. And that's fair. I also because almost had it here. The too. world building even though I think I share some of your concerns that you'll get to in a minute yeah. here, the world building is one of my favorite things about this series. And I think that the, the world building that got left out of the movie does create a more fully realized and interesting world yes. for district 13, especially like, you know, we mentioned like, Oh, they're they're They don't like to waste stuff and they're really strict about food, which is kind of dystopian, but also makes perfect sense yeah. when you consider how this society has evolved. Yes, absolutely. And like what they're working with. Yeah. It makes sense. No, it absolutely does. Yeah. And I think that's what, what is most successful about it is a lot of the things about District 13 are things that make a lot of sense. And and I I also had a tough time deciding whether to put this in better in the movie or better in the book because I agree that it makes a much richer setting. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's it creates um just a, a more realized and and engaging universe and to 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 kind of sink your teeth into. And so I did enjoy that about the book. My issue and why I put it in better in the movie and I, and I talked about this a little bit on our Patreon, on one of the comments on, on, on Patreon, is that this is where I, I it, it's mostly in the first 50 pages of the book where all this, where we're doing the setup of 
District 13. You get so you talked about the um, the food not wasting any of the food. Um, specifically, on top of not wasting it, the food is repeatedly referenced as being really bland and terrible, mm-hmm. and like mush and blah blah blah. Um, uh, Fulvia at one point, who's not a character in the movie, but she's uh, the assistant for Plutarch. She like wastes a piece of paper, like crumples it up and throws it away because they're from the capital and she's not used to them. Uh, you know how they do things in thirteen, and everybody's like gives her glares at her and you know gives yeah her, it gets uh, like an extreme reaction yeah from like throwing away a piece of paper that she only used a little bit of and that sort of thing um katniss has shoes that have been reissued to her mm-hmm. uh you know somebody else didn't need them anymore whatever died who knows and so she has shoes that don't quite fit her yeah. you know they're a little too big it's for been her worn in by somebody else yeah or that's even that it's not even that they don't fit it's that yeah they just been worn in by somebody else and so they don't quite fit right and that sort of thing um, and so I agree that all that stuff is, are things that make sense for this, this society in district 13, living underground with minimal resources, trying to do stuff. I can't help, but find it a little annoying because it, it plays into a lot of like fairly cliche. This is socialism and it sucks mm-hmm. tropes. Yeah. Like, it's pretty clear when you read the world building of District 13 that this is Suzanne Collins writing a socialist dystopian. Dystopia. Like, society. Dystopian society. At least that's what it feels like to me. And I felt like that while I get what she's going for, and ultimately the whole message of these books are about, and especially it's tough to, cause I don't want to spoil things for the second half of the book. Cause mm-hmm. you haven't read it yet and where things go. Um, but we're very clearly, even in the first half of the book, we're very clearly Katniss does not like district 13. No, not at all. She's not happy with to be there. She doesn't like the way they do things. Um, mm-hmm. and, and one of the big things about that is that she, she in numerous times, and this is another thing they dropped from the movie is we hear her talk about how sure in 13 we're not uh, under the boot of the capital but you know they have all these rules and it's this authoritarianism in 13 versus the freedom and she even references it as freedom in district 12 yeah but i i have a hard time with this the <laughs> i had a hard time <laughs> dealing with this sort of cartoonist like um characterization of a leftist civilization or a, a you know of a of a socialist civilization and it just felt like well so ultimately the point of the story is power is bad and the people who seek power don't trust them kind mm-hmm. of is like the overarching point and i agree with that to an extent i think even that is a simple an overly simple way to look at things like you it I think it's a lot more complicated than people who seek power are bad. There are plenty of people who seek power to do good. And sure, that can be corrupting and it can be bad. And you should be always be on the lookout for that. But the, I don't think it's inherently... I could be... I don't know. It's a, it's a very deep, complicated philosophical topic. We're not going <laughs> to go into all the nuances of... But the, the, just sort of the blanket idea of, like, don't don't trust anybody, you know, who seeks power, blah, blah, blah. They're all out for their own ends. And it all ends in the same sort of authoritarian nightmare Mm -hmm. regardless of what end of the political spectrum it is i think is not wrong but also (sighs) boring like (laughs) maybe boring is not even the right word uh it's just 
my biggest problem is that I feel like in an attempt to sort of do this, and 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 I and I hesitate to call it both sidesing because it's she's not really both sidesing, but in an attempt to sort of very specifically highlight the idea that power and the people who seek it are bad and not to be trusted and and that freedom is good. I think she has a lot of collateral damage on like the idea of leftism. And I think especially for young readers, mm -hmm. I think seeing this sort of collectivist society um, and the, uh, and again, I don't even agree. I'm not, I don't agree with a lot of what 13 does. I think it, I, it obviously is a lot of the things they do are a little overboard, are kind of authoritarian and bad. Like, yeah, I mean, and one of the things I thought was a good idea was dropping the whole, um, the schedules the schedule tattooed, tattooed on your, your forearm i was like yeah. uh, excuse me suzanne collins there's a very specific historical reference yeah. point you're making there and i don't know if that's exactly the right comparison you want to be yeah. making here like like there are there are there are times to make allusions to the holocaust in order <laughs> to like drive your point home for sure i don't know if this sort of socialist like um, right, like uh, rigor and and like uh, <laughs> commitment to like organization is the is the parallel like to the Holocaust that you want. I don't know. I found that really weird because again, tattooing your inner arm is a very specific right. and, and and thing well, it, to, yeah. to put in your book. And that specific detail too bugged me for that reason, but also because I didn't feel like it made sense in the same way that their like frugality yes, it also, yeah. did. To me, that was a very like kind of melodramatic and almost maudlin detail yes. to throw in. Yeah. It's one of those things again where I think in an attempt to make because the, the some of the more like the frugality of District 13 and their waste not want not uh, perspective all makes sense. I think in order to drive home that, no, you shouldn't like, like there are things off about this mm -hmm. district 13. It's not, you know, this, um, this wonderful utopia that we, you might've hoped it was. She has to put in things like tattooing your schedule to yeah. in your inner arm and, and, and it being dictated down to the minute, you know, because that's how they, they operate. And that's also one of those things that just doesn't really make sense that that would be necessary. Like, Obviously, it runs kind of like a military because they are like a militarized society because mm -hmm. they have to be in the situation they're in. But, you know, that that like down to the second, this is when you have time to reflect. This is when you eat. This is, you know, that doesn't really even make sense within like even in the military. There are they have on hours, you know, where they're yeah. doing X things and then they have off hours. And in those off hours, it's not like from this time to this time you eat. I mean, obviously the food is regulated based on like when yeah. the meals are served, if you're on like a ship or something, but like, or a base or whatever, but like, Oh, this is when you read, this is when you sleep. Like, uh, again, I think even then it, it, it gets, a, it's this like sort of over the top depiction of a sort of uh, authoritarian system that felt unbelievable because it didn't feel super practical for what their situation was. But also again, you cannot miss reading this book all of the allusions to that this is this is what socialism is mm -hmm. this is communism and this sucks you know what i mean yeah. and 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 again there are problems with every political uh and and finan <laughs> financial organizational system but i just feel like it was a little i found it uh, i found it disappointing that yeah. that was the angle that she took uh in order to characterize 13 as bad now again 
The things that are worst about 13 is the authoritarianism, which I agree is bad. Like that, I'm not a fan of authoritarianism. <laughs> and, and the fact that those are the things that are worst about it. And even Katniss sees the pros and cons of all these things. Yeah. And it's not, I'm not, I don't want to paint it as like this completely like one-sided portrayal because it's not. But I think there is collateral damage to the idea of, um, of socialism, of, of leftist political um, organizing that the book sort of paints broadly upon. Mm-hmm. And especially for younger audiences, they might not be able to discern quite so well. I don't know. I just found it like a little meh. Well, and something that I kind of wish that the book would have done, and I don't know if this would have helped, but we, we see District 13 through Katniss, obviously, who, while living most of her life in District 12, did have, like, relative freedom. Yes. Like, yeah. poor as dirt. Yeah. Sure. But for most of the, her time there, District 12 kind of flew under the radar of the Capitol. Yes, compared to other districts. Yeah, compared sure. to other yeah. districts. And I would have liked to get a glimpse of District 13 from the viewpoint of somebody from, let's say, District 11. Yeah. Where when we saw District 11 in the previous book, it's incredibly authoritarian. Oh, yeah. It's it's like it, yeah. constantly patrolled and the huge walls and fences. And, and beatings and, and yeah. people getting whipped in the square and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I, that's a very good point. Yeah. And because there is a line specifically that Katniss has in the book that really drove me crazy because I think it kind of cuts to the core of what I found most just sort of disappointing about what what we're seemingly supposed to get out of Katniss's experience in 13. And she says this, in some ways, District, District 13 is even more controlling than the Capitol. And sure, in some ways. Mm-hmm. But the thing that really stuck out to me is she's admiring the freedom she had in 12 because she could she could sneak under the wall. She could break yeah. the rules yes. and sneak under the wall and go spend all the day in the forest and hunt and blah, blah, blah. But and she to her, that's freedom. And I, I understand that. But it's also I think what what we're seeing here is a, is, a, is a problem sort of and a thing that people do a lot is distinguishing between like what freedom even means. So like, sure in 12, she was free, but was also free to starve to death. Yeah. Like she had like, and that's, and that's, you know, one of the things that's, it's really tough when you look at any sort of um, like even take America, for example, take the United States, very free country, relatively speaking, like compared to a lot of like, we're in the top, you know, whatever. 30th percentile or so i don't know what it is there are plenty of freer countries spoilers but there are also countries that are like you know many more that are less free um in terms of like legally and like Mm -hmm. how it's organized politically um but there is we take for granted the idea that are you i guess my the thing that i think i would like people to think on is are you really free if you live in a society like in 12 where you have to work under the boot of the um capital structure that exists literally the capital structure yeah <laughs> both with an a and an o i think it's spelled with an o in the book um in order to like eat or 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 have a house to live in you have to you are free to do whatever you want but if you stop doing those things if you stop um you know, uh, if you stop working within the system, within the system, y- you die. 
Yeah. Because you don't have food. And and so there is obviously 13 takes that in a different way like cuz you 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 ha- you aren't you're scheduled down to every minute but you are provided for. And yes. so ideally there's something in the middle. It's again there's there's a there's a system that combines um the best aspects of both that freedom of uh, sort of that more libertarian freedom that she had in 12 with the um, sort of more socialist freedom of 13, where she was, she had all of her needs provided for to some extent um, and that sort of thing. And I just, I don't know. I, I found the whole messaging uh, sort of thematically around 13 to, to reinforce a lot of like, old tropes about anything short of like or anything bordering on socialism as like yep the food sucks it's all gruel your shoes don't fit (laughs) everything everybody wears the same gray everything's gray yeah yeah you know it's just like okay yeah you know it's just it's such a like to me again it's kind of why i called it boring at one point to me it's just sort of a boring played out yeah, it's way. not a very interesting yeah. portrayal of this kind of society. Yeah, and I just, I don't know. So that was my yeah. whole thing. And, I, that, and that is why, like, I, I would have been very interested to see it through the eyes of somebody from a district like 11, because I doubt somebody from District 11 would be out here saying, well, in some ways, these guys are even more controlling yeah. than yeah. the Capitol. Or even somebody from 12 who didn't have the privilege Katniss had to True. know how to yeah. hunt and know how to, you know, yeah. go out in the woods. And, like, there's plenty of people in 12. She talks about it in the first book who starved to death all the time. Her family never starves to death because she knows how to hunt and has a bow yeah. and, and can go out in the woods. There's tons of people who can't. And to them... Is 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 their freedom in twelve? Was their freedom in twelve way better than you know this in thirteen? I don't know. It is for you. All I'm saying is Katniss Everdeen <laughs> needs to check her privilege. She needs to check her privilege. <laughs> That's yes. all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, anyways, and well, um, well, and speaking of her privilege too, we talked about the schedules. But we never see any kind of repercussion on her for no. Like uh, she she blows off her schedule all, all the, the time, time in and the now, first half of this book. I think and we're to I, think that I, it's because, that it's, it's, because her. it's her. Yeah. yeah, I think we are to think that. But also, like we never see any repercussions for that. We never see any repercussions for anybody for that. I mean, the only thing we see is, uh, and we'll get to it very shortly, is the repercussions to like people from the Capitol who showed up, who who uh, her prep team mm-hmm. who stole bread or something. But yeah. that was like stealing and they got you know punished for it we we've never we don't know if people get punished for not yeah we don't we don't know about the schedule that. or whatever you would assume they do because it's tattooed on your arm but who I, who knows um and, and it was at this point i was like i'm beginning to think because the first couple books i'm like suzanne collins all right comrade suzanne collins and then we get to this <laughs> book i'm like wait a second no she's an Anne prim oh god like she's and if you don't know Anne, and i don't know if that's what you i I think it probably is, which is why I've never heard anything from her. Like since she put out her book, she just disappeared. She's not on Twitter. She's not doing mm-hmm. right. She doesn't do anything. She's probably just not living in a I cabin know in the woods. I'm like convinced. Because so an Anne Prim is a, a an anarchist primitivist. Or I don't know exact. It's an anarchist primitivism or whatever. Um, essentially, uh, people who, who anarchists who want uh, who think the the, the most um, sort of stable and. Um, effective form of society is a more primitive like go, go it's jokingly on our internet called like go back to monkey or whatever where it's like sort of roughly you know back when we were like uh hunter gatherers 
mm. you know, thousands of years ago in small little like, you know, um, like tribes, tribal yeah. groups. That's kind of what Anne Prims think is like peak society and like the way it's sort of best organized. Uh, and I'm woefully under explaining Anne Prim. <laughs> I understand if you're an Anne Prim, you listen. I know I'm, I'm not explaining it well. I'm just saying. And so I was thinking, oh, that is that that feels like what? Because that's I mean, that's what Kat, Katniss just wants to go live in the woods and hunt. Yeah. And like there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to do that, go for it. I get it. Like at time, there's times we talked about it in the, the hatchet episode where it's like there's times where there's that sounds times real where that appealing. Sounds very appealing. And so I understand that. <laughs> but in terms of organizing society, I'm not sure. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure it's not the most effective way to organize your society. Um, but I uh yeah, anyways, it's like, oh, okay, she's an Ann Prim, cool. All right, fair enough. And like I said, I, I, the fact that we don't, she's not on Twitter, she doesn't do anything. I'm just like, she probably is just living. She bought a giant mansion I, in the middle of the woods and is just living life. Good for you, she, Suzanne Collins. She wrote her books and went off the grid. <laughs> yep. Good for you. So we've established that Katniss has no love for District 13, uh, and she doesn't trust a lot of the people there, and she's sort of conflicted about she doesn't really want to be the Mockingjay. This is a situation that's been thrust on her. But we do have a moment in the book, and we get this in the movie as well, but it, I thought it was maybe a little bit better handled in the book. But we do get a similar idea in the film where she sort of is reminded of the horrors committed by the capital, and this renews her commitment and her desire to fight. Um, and I think one of the things that I thought was really effective upon this reading of the book is the fickle nature of a teenager mm. and how quickly your and I mean of anybody that's not even just teenagers but in particular when you're younger it, it's even ex more exaggerated um how quickly sort of the motivations of a teenager can sh like because you know she hates district 13 and it's dumb and she just wants to run away but then it's like oh no I hate snow more you know yeah like, I, I thought that the book did a pretty good job of depicting a realistic feeling um turmoil within Katniss that that drives her motivations in different directions all the time and she's never you know at one point she's she wants nothing to do with the rebellion the next moment she like wants to go hunt snow down herself and other times she actually is you know and and the snow thing is a little bit more personal like sort of revenge mm -hmm. motivated but there's also there is a part of her that she gets at at times where it is more sort of um her motivations are like grander and in terms of like liberating the society at large and 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 helping people in the other districts and that sort of thing and so i just thought i liked that and i'm not sure that comes across in the movie yeah as well i think it does because we see her voicing different feelings at different times in the movie but since we're in her head in the book i think it's just really clear how quickly and often her motivations and and desires change i also so she says this line in the movie when she does decide she wants to to, to be the mocking jay in the movie, she goes, we cut, she's, I don't, she's reminded of, this is after District 12, I guess, or something like, I can't remember when this happens, when after yeah. she visits District 12, maybe. I don't remember when it happens in the movie. In the book, um, her and Gail are talking, and they're thinking, I don't even remember what they're talking about, but they have a conversation, and something in the conversation riles her up to get her to, to decide that she wants to be the Mockingjay. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, it just cuts to her in the room with Plutarch and coin and says i'll be your mockingjay mm -hmm. and in the book it's essentially the same there's a slight change in that gail asks her what she's gonna do and she says i'm going to be the mockingjay and i really liked her saying that to her out loud to herself and gail first yeah kind of trying it on yeah sort of trying it on trying to kind of convincing herself 
and like seeing how it sounds when she says yeah. it versus just jumping right in and saying it to the people who are going to put those plans in motion. I thought I liked it's again, it's a little detail. It doesn't really matter, but I, I slightly preferred the book where she says it kind of to herself first. Mm-hmm. So in, in both the book and the movie, she agrees to be the Mockingjay on a couple of conditions. And that's like mostly the same mm-hmm. book to movie. But there is one thing that didn't make it to the movie, which was that one of her conditions was that she ultimately gets to kill President Snow. Yeah. Which she does not say in the movie. Not that I recall, no. No. And I I was wondering, because I I don't know how important that's going to be in the second half of the book. I guess not particularly important since they felt comfortable leaving it out. I can't talk about that because that moment... Where that decision comes is very spoiler heavy. Okay. So <laughs> okay. incredibly like big spoilers. Okay, well that makes that even more interesting to me that they left that condition out of the movie then. But I was also kind of sad to lose one of President Coyne's lines in that moment um, when Katniss says that one of her conditions is that she wants to kill Snow. Yeah. And Coyne responds... When the time comes, I'll flip you for it. I thought that's a good, yeah, that's a good line. Yeah. That's a nice little moment for Coin. I like that too. I think the other condition she doesn't make in the in the movie is about the cat, maybe? Or does she say that? I don't think it's one of her conditions. I think they had already kind of settled. Because the initial agreement on with the cat was that they gave him like a little window. In the book. So in the book, yeah. So that he could go in and out. But she she but that was after she made the con- that was after she made the agreement with them. Yes. Was it? Yes, 100%. She makes the agreement and they go, yeah, okay. But because at first they're like, no. Yeah. And she says, okay. Well, maybe it was before this. But either way, they at one point she has to make a deal with them to keep the cat. Right. And, I, and the movie cuts that out and they just seem to let her keep the cat like yes. without any yeah. issues. And I thought that was another de- another thing going back to our previous long discussion about the movie toning down the authoritarianism of thirteen. Yeah. A little bit from what we get in the book. Because in the book, they're like, no, you can't have a pet. No, no pets. No, but, yeah. And this is not even mentioned in the movie. It's just like fine, it seems like. Well, she does She does in the movie say that one of her conditions is that her sister gets oh, to keep does a cat. Oh, Okay, I mean, yeah. that's what I was asking. But I, yeah. but I can't remember if that was specifically part of her conditions in the book. It or is. If, yeah, it is. Okay, I'll take your word for no, it. No, it is. I, it was, I knew it was in the book. I thought I missed it in the movie in that part because I was writing on the notes. I didn't realize she asked in the movie. I thought she dropped it. So they, she okay. does ask in the movie. About the cat, she does request. Yeah, it. she does say that okay. my sister. Gets well, then never to keep mind. Her cat. They did keep that part. Yeah, then. there's a lot less detail around how the cat. Lives right. Yeah, in they're not worried about like in the, the movie. Yeah, because in the book, it's like it's got a window. It's got to be in by a certain time. I'm like, yeah. how are you getting a cat in <laughs> yeah, by a certain time? What does that even mean? Yeah, I thought that was silly. They're like, if the cat's not in by oh eight oh oh eight hundred every night, we're gonna kill it. It's like what. I can't well, make it he come just, back. He just doesn't get to come in or, yeah, at that point, yeah, which yeah. I guess the cat would figure it out eventually. Yeah. That it needs to come back by like dinner time or whatever. I but I thought that was silly. Um, but anyways, during this conversation, there's another little moment in the book right after she agrees to be the Mockingjay. Um, and she says, you know, you got to pardon Peter or whatever. And they ha- start having this discussion in the book about, oh, yeah, we got to stay with the PETA relation they they mm-hmm. basically plutarch and fulvia and stuff start talking about what relationship makes the most sense for yeah um to keep katniss in quote unquote for the for the cause basically and i thought that was uh again i like that 
I like that element of District 13 also using propaganda in the same way that the Capitol does. I don't disagree with. I think that is a very poignant political, mm-hmm. regardless of any it's, of the other. It's all it, it's all marketing. The, yeah, no matter where you go, because everything's it's marketing. The yeah. old razzle dazzle. Yeah, and I did like them kind of discussing like, no, yeah, well, we can't ever be with Gail because everything's just because yeah. like it makes the most sense. She's still with Peta. Uh, and they were like, you know, I just, I like that. And again, all without her, like, really caring what her input on this is. Yeah, just, they just discuss it in front of her. Yeah. Don't ask her how she feels about it. Um, speaking of Fulvia and the prep team, um, there was a scene that I thought was interesting in the book. So I, 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 again, I'm, I think I prefer that this is cut out in relation to my previous point about sort of toning down the authoritarianism of 13. But um, I did like this in the book because I like these characters and there's particularly a couple little moments. And that is Katniss's prep team is in the book mm-hmm. from the Capitol. Um, they've made their way to 13 or no, they were rescued. I can't remember. Now. They they like plucked them out of the Capitol at Senna's request. Yeah. Like the same night that everything went down in the arena, yeah. it sounded like. So. I guess they did kind of kidnap them kind from of, the Capitol. Yeah. So they brought her prep team there, who's not been in any of the movies. Well, they have, but not like named they're, characters. Yeah, they're not like characters the way they characters. are in the books. Um, and we find out that they, they're they're there, but they were being like tortured in the basement because, or they were locked up in the basement, and they're all like seemingly being tortured because they were they got in trouble for stealing bread or something like that. And I think the implication is that some members of Thirteen are are being sort of vindictive to some of the Capitol mm-hmm. residents. Um, you know, even though they're part of District 13 now, uh, probably like a, a native District 13 member wouldn't get thrown in the dungeon for stealing a piece of bread, probably, probably. but a capital person they do, or, you know, some capital people they do. Um, so I liked bringing them back. And then I also like the element we get of that where Katniss is like defending them at one point and Gail's like, why are you defending them? Mm-hmm. Like, they're horrible. They were like prepping you to go die on camera. Like what? And I, and I like that dynamic of her, you know, sort of trying to talk to him about why they're the way they are and that yeah. sort of thing like that. Um, and then specifically, the thing I liked most about them is this one little scene that is just a really cute scene where they're all after they rescue them from the dungeon, they're all like having dinner together. And uh, Gail's sister sits down next to Octavia and Octavia has green skin, I believe. Yeah, her skin's like a, an it's evergreen like green, color. Yeah. And Gail's sister is is little. Young, yeah. She's, yeah, she's much like younger than six Prim. or yeah, something. Yeah, she's like a little kid. And she she says to Octavia, you're green. Are you sick? And Octavia says no or says, no, I'm not sick. And I think either she or somebody else says, oh, I, mean, I Katniss explains yeah. that it's like a like using lipstick or something. Yeah. People in the Capitol, you know, they. They dye their skin different colors and things like that. Um, and and, Octa- and and Gail's little sister says to her, it's a fashion thing. This is Katniss. Or, You're green. Are you sick? It's a fashion thing, Posey, like wearing lipstick, I say. It's meant to be pretty, whispers Octavia, and I can see the tears threatening to spill over her lashes. Posey considers this and says matter-of-factly, I think you'd be pretty in any color. The tiniest of smiles forms on Octavia's lips. Thank you. It's an adorable scene. It's a very scene. cute, little, a very moment, cute yeah. little moment. Um and I was disappointed that wasn't in the movie. I had a feeling mm-hmm. it wouldn't be because, again, the prep team hasn't really been a character. Yeah, they hadn't really been in the movies the way that they are in the books. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the movie cuts the prep team um, and the character of Fulvia. And what we get is 
Effie Trinket, mm-hmm. who up, at least up to this point has not been in this book. No. I think they say at one point that they have no they idea have no what idea happened what to happened her. To Effie. Yeah. So probably dead. Probably dead. Uh, but I, and I, I liked subbing Effie in because that means we get more of Elizabeth Banks. Yes. Playing Effie. Yeah. But I do think that it really belies that definite decision to soften District 13. Mm-hmm. Like, you contrast what happens in the book with the prep team, like, literally locked in a dungeon to the movie with Plutarch explicitly saying, this door isn't locked, you know, to Effie. Yeah. And then what we miss out on with Gail and and Katniss is Gail's double standards, because he is very quick to defend Coin in District 13 because this is how they've always operated, but then in the same breath, he condemns her prep team for doing things the way that they've always operated. Yeah, no, it's true. And it is interesting. Now that I'm thinking about it, I have to be really careful about how I talk about this to avoid spoilers. Um, one, I, I agree. I had better in the movie that uh, replacing Fulvia with Effie, I thought was a good decision just because Elizabeth Banks is great in this and her Effie is great. Um, and I, I think giving her bringing her into this movie and giving her some more of a character arc. is just more interesting. Um, And it continues what we start to see with her in the first two books as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. I think Um, I will say that it is interesting that they would, that the movies are seem to be slightly softening sort of district 13, knowing again, roughly from my memory, I I'm only a couple chapters past where we stopped uh, for this uh, I'm a couple chapters past where the end of the first movie is mm-hmm. um, in reading. And from my memory, I think it's really interesting with where the story ends up that they would soften District 13 in the movies, knowing where the, the, the story is going. Seems like maybe a weird choice. Again, I'm, I'm not I can't go into I don't want to go into any details, but it does potentially make the outcome of the story a little weirder. Maybe. I don't know. I don't either. I'll say this. A thing I like a lot of times in media is media that makes it clear. And the, and the, the, these books have done a lot of this. And we've talked about this a lot, that the individuals are not the problem. It's the system. Mm-hmm. And I worry that although <laughs> It's complicated. I like that, but I worry that with the way the movies are taking it, it's going to end up the messaging is going to be, no, it wasn't individuals that were the problem, not the system. But at the same time, I disagree with the way the system in the book, the system of District 13, I I think is a, a, a cliche sort of tropey like, Ah, weird portrayal of it. it's not unrealistic it existed you know soviet union existed like it's mm-hmm. not it's not outlandish that authority in fact lots of authoritarian left-wing systems it's complicated but um my point being i don't know i'm really interested to see if the softening of district i guess my point is i'll be really interested to see if the softening of district 13 in the movie makes sense with where the second movie ends and what that means thematically for both District 13 and the overall uh, rebellion and the sort of wider thematic implications of like systems versus individuals mm-hmm. and where what that all means. 
I'm interested to see what that where that goes with these slight changes. Anyways, sorry. It's hard because I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to go into details. And again, I barely remember the details, so it's not helpful either. This is a little thing, but it is mentioned in the book that uh, Greasy Say. I don't know how say, to say her name. I keep wanting to say Greasy Sal in my head yeah. because that sounds more like a name to me. Uh, but the the cook from the Hob, yeah, in District Twelve now works in the kitchens at District Thirteen, which I thought was a nice little detail. It is. I was trying to pay attention and see because we do see her in the movies, yeah. several times in like the first two movies, and I was trying to pay attention and see if we saw that actress like, like in, in the background, in the background somewhere. somewhere. And I don't think so, but I I also might have just missed it. I don't know. So uh, after agreeing to be the Mockingjay, Katniss goes to visit Beatty, mm-hmm. which is how they say it in the movie, which I disagree with. I meant to talk about that in the last episode because I was pronouncing it BT Don't in they, my head the whole like time. I feel like one person says BT in the movie. I feel like Julian, uh, I feel like Coyne says BT. I'm going to say BT because I think I like that better than Beatty. Yeah. Uh, so she goes down to see BT in Weapons. Yeah, he's work. He's, he's working like in, in the, the, the weapons the armory, department. Basically, yeah. Um, he's like a a tech whiz. Yeah. Uh, but we we see in the book something that we don't get at all in the movie, which is like this giant fake meadow. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, and I I wonder if it goes anywhere in the second half of the book. Yeah. Because it does seem like a weird thing to mention. And if, then and then yeah. not use it all in any way. Uh, but yeah, he's in this giant meadow that uh is like they're growing and it's like hummingbirds in the meadow and Mm -hmm. stuff i actually thought it would have been a really clever way to do like a twist edit by just cutting to katniss in this field Mm -hmm. and then revealing that it's in district 13 yeah that would have been been a fun little moment um but yeah they cut that part out it doesn't really matter again at least so far it, yeah, I guess not. I I'm I'm interested, like you said, to see if it goes anywhere, if it means anything in the second yeah. half of the book. But they cut it out of the movie, which I was a little disappointed by because I thought it could have been neat. I think it might because I think so. The one of the things they mentioned is that they're studying the hummingbirds because of how they fly, mm-hmm. and I think that they may somehow create, they may come up with technology that allows people to fly or something. How do they like. reinvent drones? I think they may reinvent. Well, like wingsuit, like I think Ooh. I could be, I don't remember at all, but mm. I think that might be how it comes back potentially. Mm-hmm. And maybe the movie decided that wasn't necessary. They just invent this thing. Like, yeah, they don't need a room full of, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> but he does give her his bow or her bow. Her yeah, she gets bow. a sweet bow, which is sweeter in the book. Yeah, than it is in the movie. Yeah, I had it in, in the movie. It's just a black bow that looks yeah. exactly like the silver one that the capital gave her, except it's black. Yeah. And in the and I was like, oh, it's so boring. Again, I was hoping we were finally going to get a cool prop. Um, but in the in the book, it's described as having, um, I set the case flat on the floor and undo the latches along one side. The top opens on silent hinges. Inside the case on a bed of, bed of crushed maroon velvet lies a stunning black bow. I lift it carefully into the air to admire exquisite balance, the elegant, elegant design and the curve of the limbs that somehow suggests the wings of a bird extended in flight. 
There's something else I have to hold very still to make sure I'm not imagining it. No, the bow is alive in my hands. I press it against my cheek and feel the slight hum travel through the bones of my face. What's it doing, I ask? Saying hello, explains BT with a grin. It heard your voice. It recognizes my voice, I ask? Only your voice. Yeah, and we don't get the voice recognition thing in the movie. No. Which, and I read that in the book, and I was like, oh, that's going to be important. Yeah, again, because... To be fair, it, to to be fair to the movie cutting that so far in the book that has meant nothing. True. She's used the bow, and also it doesn't. I don't understand what it could mean. Like what it what it would do. The fact that it recognizes because he doesn't even say like it won't fire. <laughs> like I mean, you know what I, I mean. I would assume that would be the point of your weapon having voice recognition, yeah. right? Would be so that you can tell it not to fire if somebody else is using it. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it doesn't, but they don't, he doesn't go on to explain what it recognizes your voice means. <laughs> like, Or maybe like she could like tell it to, to do something, even if she's not holding it. Oh, hold on. I have the option. Oh, okay. I think this is it. And I think this will matter potentially. I have the option. So she goes through the different arrows, the types mm -hmm. of arrows. And then she says, I have the option of voice override at any time but have no idea why I would use it to, act, to deactivate the bow's special properties. But to me, that's the arrow. The arrows are the... Sp so it's the... Because, again, this just feels like poor writing to me, honestly. Um, <laughs> the variety of arrows, razor-sharp, incendiary, explosive, turn the bow into a multi-purpose weapon. Each one is recognizable by a distinctive color shaft. I have the option of voice override at any time, but have no idea why I would use it to deactivate the bow's special properties. I need only tell it good night. Then it goes to sleep until the sound of my voice wakes it again. But it doesn't say what the special properties are. Uh, maybe she can tell it not to like like fire an arrow but not have it explode that's what i was thinking but again that's less the bow more the arrow well right but, <laughs> but maybe maybe like if she was out of normal arrows then she could use a special arrow but just be like i don't want to I, I don't want this to be a splody arrow i agree i think it's weird that you would say that to the bow and not just have not like the a arrow. Butt, not the arrow <laughs> or have a because what does the bow do to the arrow that turns off the explody it's all that we'll get. I have a general an odds and end note about the technology in this in this book series. But um, but th there's no other explanation of what the other special properties are, like what mm -hmm. else the bow does that her voice makes it do. And like I said, like you said, the only thing that makes any sense is that you can't fire it. Right. So it somehow I would have to like lock the string to make it unable to be drawn. Yeah. Unless she activates it. And maybe that's possible. But I think you're right that most likely it's that she can take an explody arrow and make it just a normal arrow, yeah. make it not explode by telling the bow not to. And maybe that'll be relevant later. But it's not relevant at any point in the book so far. <laughs> and so we'll see if it is. And maybe that's why the movie cut it, because maybe it's not relevant. We shall see. Maybe this is one of those, like, writing cool ideas and then forgetting about it. And it's like, oh, she's got a bow. She just shoots her bow. I'm sure people who have read the book and remember things are like... <laughs> no, you idiots! <laughs> At the end, she does this. But most importantly, the thing about the bow that the movie doesn't get is the fact that it looks like wings. Like the, yeah. the, 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 the parts of the bow that come out look like wings, which I thought would look really cool because I've seen bows, designs that look like that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why they wouldn't do that unless they were saving it for part two. Yeah, like maybe, maybe she's she, going to get like she an upgraded a... bow. 
I'm not actually an that might even better bow. That actually might honestly happen. Like they, she might get like an even cooler bow for the big yeah. final movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, they might have waited on that. I don't know. They, she needed to have the cool arrows, but maybe this fancier bow comes next movie. Uh, there's a little scene where Hamish and Katniss, uh, so they've they're, they have not been talking. Katniss, mm. like, clawed the shit out of Hamish's face at one point, which never happens in the movie. Um, but they haven't been talking. Uh, they've had lots of issues. But they have a moment in the book right after, um, right before she's getting ready to go out in the field, I believe it is, um, that she, uh, they kind of, like, squash their beef. And the movie kind of gives them a little scene at the end but I liked them having this scene earlier and I don't remember what they're talking about, but they just kind of like come to an agreement and kind of settle things and are fine for the rest of the, the yeah. book or at least for the rest of the first half of the book. Um, anyways, I would have liked that scene. There's not, not a lot of Hamish in this movie, not a lot no. of Hamish in the book to be fair, but still. So as they're getting ready to leave to go to district eight to film their first propaganda video, because again, Katniss sucks in the studio and they need to get her out in the field. Um, as they're leaving, Finnick wants to come along, but he can't because he's not, you know, he's he's still sort of... Yeah, he has not been well. No, he's not been well. He's dealing with the fallout from um, Annie being captured by the Capitol, uh, another character that the movies do a poor job of setting up or explaining, yeah. in my opinion. But <laughs> the books don't do a lot more with that, to be fair. Um, but uh, as he's, he's in his, like, hospital robe as they're getting ready to leave, and he comes out and he... <laughs> He has this slide where he's because he's he doesn't have pants on or whatever. Mm -hmm. He's just in like a robe. And he's like, do you find this distracting? And I wanted that scene in the movie because I thought it would be fun. And then coming off of that, the other thing I really wanted immediately after that happens, they get to the hovercraft. Um, and I think like Fulvia says something about how like cute Gale looks yeah. or something like that. And Boggs who's played by Mahershala Ali yeah. uh, in the book, says, we just saw Finnick O'Dare in his underwear, so I doubt <laughs> anything could measure up or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And they cut this out of the movie, and please, movie, I would have died to hear Mahershala Ali say <laughs> that with his utter deadpan seriousness. Yeah. I wanted it. Yeah. It would have been really good. I, yeah, I thought I had it in the book, nailed it or the movie nailed it. Cause Mahershala Ali casting as Boggs. Oh, it was perfect. Perfect. He's such a good, such a good casting. Um, another thing the movie drops really disappointing and maybe we'll get this in part two. Maybe they're saving some of these things. Yeah. Maybe for they're like, saving some for cool stuff. For cool reveals in the, in part two is that she gets a helmet in the, in the book um, before she goes to eight. And the helmet is, and I understand not wanting your main character wearing a helmet all the time, but her helmet isn't really a helmet in the book. It's a hood, mm -hmm. essentially, but like an armored hood. And so she gets to look like freaking Robin Hood. Yeah. Like she, she has looks like, like goth Robin Hood. Yeah. It's like she's got this badass like archery hood and yeah, in all black armor. And I was like, why would you not give her that? That's such a, uh, and I'm, I'm wondering again, if maybe part two will have some mm. of that. Cause yeah, it sounds sounded super cool, and I was like, "Why? No, come on!" We also do find out this is a little detail that one of the reasons that District Two is so District everybody is in rebellion against the Capitol except yeah. for District Two, and we find out that District Two isn't in rebellion because mainly because they're like favored by the Capitol, and one of the main reasons for that is is also where the peacekeepers come from. Primarily, mm -hmm. is from District Two, and it's a little detail that I thought was interesting. 
and I don't even know if we know that District Two isn't. Yeah, this was like none of. I feel like none of this was explained in the movie. Yeah. Which and like it's kind of hilarious because like in this world every district has its own like export right. that it specializes in and I, I kind of love that District Two's export is literally cops. It's cops, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah, and there, yeah, and and yeah, I, I feel like because one of the things the movie does really well, we'll talk about it, is giving us a, a wider view of some of the the rebellion going on mm-hmm. because in the book we're just kind of in Katniss's perspective, so we don't get to see what else is yeah, going on. Yeah, and nobody tells her anything. So nobody tells we her. Don't anything. really know what's going on. But she does is at least privy to enough information to know like, okay, every district is rebelling except mm-hmm. for District Two. And in the movie, I don't know if you would know that you see several. We see several little vignettes of acts of rebellion in certain specific districts, but I don't know if they ever, and they probably do. Again, there's so many, we've watched this movie once, there's a lot of lines, and we're writing notes through a lot of them, so it's hard. Maybe at some point somebody said, every district's in open rebellion except for two, and I just missed that, but it felt like we needed that context to know, like, okay, it's fully everywhere. It's on. Yeah, and it's also important to know that District 2 isn't, for the events yeah. going into part two of this book or yeah. part two of the movie, because that's where Katniss is going at the end of this book uh, or at the end of the first half of the book. She wants to go to District Two to because they have to ca- take District Two and then they can go take the Capitol. Um, and I and maybe they'll set that up. Probably first thing in the next movie, they'll be like, all right, the rebe- rebels are doing well in every district except two. And she's like, send me to two. It's like, all right, fine. You know, <laughs> and that solves my my problem. I just felt like they could have set that up a little more in this one. No, I agree. I love this scene in the book, and we get a similar scene in the movie-ish. Not even similar. We just get like a little line that's kind of reminiscent of this, but there's a scene in the book where Plutarch is trying to explain what a republic is to Katniss and Haymitch, and they're both very skeptical that this could ever work. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was very funny. It made me laugh a lot. They're both like, I don't know about that. Uh, And they also... um, because Plutarch is like, well, yeah, uh, they, they used to, you know, this, this existed back in the day. Um, yeah, Plutarch, uh, we're going to form a republic where the people of each district in the capital can elect their own representatives to be their voice in a centralized government. Don't look so suspicious. It's worked before. In books, Hamish mutters. In history books, says Plutarch. And if our ancestors could do it, then we can too. And then this is the other line that I really liked is Katniss. Um, thinking to herself after Plutarch says that, frankly, our ancestors don't seem much to brag about. I mean, look at the state they left us in with the wars and the broken planet. Clearly, they didn't care about what would happen to the people who came after them, but this republic idea sounds like an improvement over our current government. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like that. I like that little uh, couple paragraphs there. And we don't really get any of that in the movie. Uh, so one of the other really, and again, this will probably show up in part two. Probably. Would be my yeah. guess. But one of the things they explain as she's getting ready to go to District 8, uh, he's kind of after BT talks through all of her armor and stuff. Uh, the last little note, and I think it's Boggs that explains this, um, is that she has this little pocket on her armor by her on her shoulder that holds a, uh, they call it a nightlock capsule because yeah, they said they named it for her They named it for her because because the nightlock berries from the first hunger game she was in um but it's basically just a cyanide tablet or whatever mm-hmm. it's it's a, a suicide pill i thought that was a nice dark little realistic touch oh yeah and i'm one i was really surprised that the movie left that out 
and I was wondering if maybe it has something to do with ratings or if like, they're just saving that for part two I wouldn't to be, up the stakes yeah, even more. I wouldn't you know what I mean? I would be terribly surprised if it had something to do with ratings. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But, but, but at the same time, I feel like they could... Feel like they could do it without explicitly calling. Like, yeah, like they don't have to call it a suicide. And they don't no. in the book. I don't. They don't. No, I don't yeah, think they, they do no, either. They, they just say uh, if if you you can't. They basically just a kind of bounce around or dance around it in the book. They're just mm-hmm. like if you get captured, you can't be taken yeah, alive. We, or yeah, whatever, we you know? can't afford to have anybody captured. Yeah, and they're like we named it a nightlock pill after you or nightlock after you, and it's very clear, obviously, then what it is. Right, and you don't really need to go into detail, but yeah. I'll surprise again. I'm yeah, thinking maybe, maybe that'll be a movie too. That's adds some stakes when she's going to ca- District Two yeah. for her mission. Maybe then they'll they'll kind of introduce that. Uh, there's a little note when they get to District Eight. Uh, they have the camera crew there. There's two camera guys, uh, Pollux and Caster, and I. There's a little note that Katniss notes how much the camera guys are sweating, <laughs> and I was really appreciated Suzanne Collins putting that detail in because as a person who's been a camera guy for a lot of things a lot of times in my life boy you sweat so freaking much even if you're not wearing a ton of like they're wearing like giant like like suits like camera yeah. suits they have basically. like a whole camera apparatus yeah. they're not just like holding a camera right but regardless i i <laughs> anytime i film something shorts and a t-shirt i'm drenched <laughs> in sweat it could be 50 degrees outside in shorts and a t-shirt and i'll sweat in my butt off uh if i'm working at running a camera and it's mentioned twice how sweaty the camera people are and i was like okay somebody's been around somebody <laughs> somebody asked about she knows something about cameramen camera people uh, after they get to District 8, they go into this hospital and she kind of meets with all the survivors of this bombing that happened in District 8. And um, they all come up and they're like, oh, Katniss. Uh, and they all want to see her and talk to her. And they all like are like want to touch her and stuff because she's the symbol of the rebellion and all that sort of thing. And after they leave the hospital, Gail mentions to her how surprised he is that she let all those people touch her and didn't mm-hmm. like have a panic attack and run out of the hospital. And again, I thought that was another... Going back to something we mentioned in like the first episode of the coding of uh, and the reading of Katniss as autistic. Mm-hmm. And it seems clear to me here that get, that is obviously not people with autism aren't the only people that don't like lots of people touching them sometimes. Yeah. But that is a characteristic often of people on the spectrum. And so I thought, uh, you know, of not liking being touched and that sort of thing. And so I thought that was maybe another little um, kind of nod to that aspect mm-hmm. of uh, Katniss's character. And something that Gil would know about her. Yeah. Having been close to her for so long. Yeah. So initially I had this in better in the movie and then it ended and I was like, Oh, that's it. <laughs> and so I moved it to better in the book and that's the fight in district eight. Yeah. Is really short and kind of underwhelming compared to what happens in the book. Well, I've, I kind of felt like, they subbed a lot of the action for just having like towers fall. Yeah. Well, which, well, I don't know. It's not it, essentially the same thing happens, but it, the, the, so the, the Capitol shows up and they're bombing uh, the, the hospital and stuff mm-hmm. and, and, and Katniss and Gail go to try to in- intervene. 
and they get up on the roofs and they shoot down a couple bombers. And essentially that is what happens. But in the book, they shoot down like a dozen of them or something yeah. like that. And I was expecting this like slightly long, more drawn out, dramatic, like sort of them running around, hiding, shooting at bombers. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I was expecting more from that scene of like a more tense action beat. And it's just they get up on the roof and the bombers shoot at them once. They hide. Then they pop out and shoot the bombers. And there's only two of them. They crash. And that's the end of that scene. Yeah. And I, and that is, again, that is what happens in the book. It's just there's more going on and it seems more chaotic. And, the, I, and I just was wondering if maybe there was like a budget issue and not wanting to like. Yeah, maybe they know. didn't want to blow their budget on one scene. Yeah, and it's not that important. You get, I mean, you get the important part of this scene with right. them shooting two yeah. of them down. Like, it's it's fine. It, it works as is. I just thought it was a little, I don't know. I was like, okay. One random detail from the book in that scene that I kind of missed was the explicit reference that they were using the same technique to shoot down the planes that oh, they yeah. used to hunt geese yeah. back at home. yeah. Well, it doesn't make sense in the book. It wouldn't make sense in the movie because there's only two bombers in yeah. the movie, whereas in the book there's it's like, like a, a dozen of them or whatever, and they're yeah. yeah, they're flying in a V. And so yeah, shooting them like they shoot at geese because yeah. she says like geese, and then they split the the line of bombers between themselves. Uh, how they hunt geese? Yeah, it's a nice little detail, and yeah, but there's only two. But bombers, yeah, it wouldn't so make wouldn't, sense. <laughs> she would just say, "I'll take the one on the right." Like, I don't, you know, like it doesn't really. Yeah. Uh, there's also so at the end of this, um, at one point in the in the book, she gets hit, a, a bomb goes off and she gets like blown across into a building and like mm -hmm. she gets like she feels this pain in her knee um, and and she's clearly like really injured. And I like this moment in the book that once they she shoots, the they shoot down the bombers and they realize the hospital's destroyed. And once her adrenaline wears off from all this, she just throws up yeah. and realizes she like can't stand and like falls over and is very severely injured. And uh, Boggs has to pick her up and I run think her back. She throws up on, on, Boggs, on yes. Boggs too, which could have been another kind yes. of like fun character moment for him. Yeah. Like reacting to that. Yeah. I also just like that, that, that sort of vulnerability for her mm -hmm. like in that moment of of just yeah it's just making her feel less like a superhero and more yeah. like a real person yeah. who like yeah she got hurt and just the, the like coming off the adrenaline she's just and and everything that just happened and how horrifying it all is she just throws up and it just felt like yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then, yeah, I felt and like... Especially because, like, she's she's not a soldier. Like, no. she doesn't have any military training no. or anything. She's, no. She's just a person <laughs> she who's can really geese. good at bow and arrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when they get back to uh, District 13 after the debacle in District 8, um, there's this moment. And so we didn't get into this. And actually, I guess this could be a better in the book, too, because I kind of like this, I, is that her and Gail actually like fight away from their team, like mm -hmm. the rest of the camera crew and Boggs and uh, Haymitch is on her intercom with uh, Katniss and she like pulls her intercom out and uh, to ignore Haymitch and her and Gail and Gail kicks Boggs in the face and breaks his nose and yeah. they run off to go, to go help out and fight. And I like that when they get back Boggs and Haymitch and everybody all pretend that this was all planned 
and not her like going her and yeah, like going Gale rogue. going rogue. And I really liked that dynamic uh, uh, within the rebellion of like Plutarch and Hamish. Not because they know Coin already doesn't like Katniss and mm-hmm. thinks she's too much of a wild card and too much of a you know a, a liability. A liability. Yeah. And so they're all like, "Oh yeah, no, that was all. Yep, all according to plan. That was what we wanted. <laughs> that was great. She did great. Good job. <laughs> you know." Then, but they're all furious <laughs> with her. Look at this great footage yeah. we got. But but in actuality, they're both furious with her. And yeah. like, uh, Hamish has this thing where he comes and he like. He's like, you're going to wear your earpiece and you're not taking it out or I'm going to put this. He has like a helmet thing that he's going to like yeah. strap to her head that she can't take off that so he can talk in her ear. And then if she gets out of that, he was going to have them implant a like a communication chip in her brain or something like that. Um, and I again, I liked that that inner sort of the inner politics of the rebellion mm-hmm. and, and sort of the navigating the different people within it. I thought was cool in the book and i was wishing there had been a little more of that in the movie when we finally see the propo that they they put together from this footage they shot in eight in the book it opens up with claudius templesmith who's the announcer for the hunger games yes uh his voice and i wrote in my notes oh claudius is working for the rebellion yeah, i had the same thought when i read that <laughs> and then we go like two lines further and then uh they ex- they explain that no actually they're just stole clips of his voice and used it in the steal that sound bite yeah they just stole it was like him introducing katniss in like the last hunger games or whatever yeah they just used that sound bite in the propo and i was like okay that's interesting um it i get not used i mean it might even have been his voice in the movie and i just didn't realize it to be fair i don't remember yeah but anyways i like that detail in the book it is interesting to me that they the in district 13 they still get all of the like broadcasts and everything from the, the yeah. capital yeah it's weird because they do watch it all the time like she watched yeah. it and they just let it play it seems weird that they would let I, I guess i mean i guess i don't really know how how that works maybe the capital can't control that it goes there and they just pick it up or no i mean i guess i well yeah i guess i meant that i wouldn't i wouldn't think that 13 would like play it on all their tvs and stuff yeah like the the yeah the capital's propaganda like obviously they would want to watch it like the like the people right, like in intelligence and stuff would want to watch it. it but you wouldn't think but it that, just like because plays Katniss in the can cafeteria. just like watch it yeah like can just see it on the cafeteria <laughs> and i was like why would they be playing the propaganda from the capital in the or, or, or maybe it is because i was like i guess you could if you curated it like if mm-hmm. the if the leadership was like curating the right propaganda to kind of like because obviously they know most of the people in, in 13 are like on their, they don't have to worry about like it causing dissension, but it, right. it could with some people. I don't know. I just thought it was. So right after the success of the first propo that they shoot with Katniss, they decide they got to, they got to churn out a, a half dozen other ones immediately. Cause it's, it's all going so well. Uh, and the, and they're, they come up with an idea for a series that is like the, we remember propos that are about like all of the contestants who died in the hunger games and stuff. And they're really going to have a story about Rue and all that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And they kind of cut all of all of that from yeah the all movie. that gets cut from the movie and i get why they cut that i was hoping that we would see it in the background like see them like working on it or something as like an easter egg but i, yeah. I didn't catch that if it was yeah uh, another thing that i don't know if I, I think it comes across in the movie but not as explicitly as it does in the book which is the sort of cynicism and the uh, uh the similarity in how the the people putting together the propaganda view it in both the Capitol and district 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, 
um, and I don't remember who says this, but somebody says it's painful to watch. That's what makes it so effective. And it's just that inherent, like grossness to Mm -hmm. um, propagandizing suffering. Yeah. But you kind of have to, it's, it's a weird, it's a complicated topic that I think is not, is maybe sort of surface level as it seems just in general, the idea of like broadcasting. So like the greater discussion being like, you know, the the idea it's painful to watch. That's what makes it so effective. That's inherently initially sort of off putting and gross feeling uh, to hear somebody just sort of bluntly state that about, uh, you know, the, this, these propaganda pieces that they're producing about like Rue or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, I think there's a fine line that you have to find between like exploiting suffering and showing suffering for a good reason. Yeah. Like, I agree. You know what I mean? Because obviously that, that line feels cynical and gross on first blush. Like it's painful to watch. That's what makes it so effective, but that's also just like true and can be good. Like, like you don't necessarily just not want, like you have to show people the real horribleness, the, like the the brutal, awful reality of what the capital does and is, mm-hmm. if you want to spur people to take action. And obviously, bluntly saying, yeah, it's horrible, and it, that's good because it'll make. You know, it'll 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 really whip people up. Sounds gross, but that's also just like true and you want it to be the case like you want to show like in this instance where like uh, like take, for example, like showing the atrocities of the Holocaust after like documenting it and and broadcasting the atrocities of what happened in uh, in in um, in during the Holocaust in Germany. Um, and across Europe is super important mm-hmm. and like a very important thing to document and make sure people see and know about and remember. Um, and so it's, I don't know. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, it, no, I, I get what you're saying. I think I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to use a, a less intense example. Yeah. So, the difference to me is like the difference between you know those commercials for dawn where they show like ducklings covered in oil yeah and that is to sell dawn right contrast that with something like an ASPCA commercial where they show a sad dog and that is to get people to support a good cause true and adopt dogs <laughs> Very true. The purpose of it is very different and, and matters. Yeah, yeah. If it's to sell product, then yes, it, it, it it's there's right. A, Going back to what you said about like exploitation. Yeah. Of suffering versus like showing suffering. Yeah, showing suffering. In, a, in order to accomplish something that is ultimately good. Yeah. But it's funny because propaganda and, 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 and that's what I think this book does does a good job of highlighting is that propaganda rides that line, like the yes. this political propaganda rides that line. Yeah, it does. Uh, and, and very easily. And um, the thing that I think is really interesting is that 
the the book kind of goes to great lengths to showcase that the people best at producing the political propaganda are also the people who are really good at selling you product A. Like it's mm-hmm. the same system, it's the same yes. machine that <laughs> yes. makes that makes uh you know your your pro liberation uh propaganda video that also makes your by dawn soap yeah propaganda video also i know that the ducklings in those commercials generally aren't actually covered in oil don't come for me no they're not i'm aware of that but it's the same idea it's the same idea yeah uh so the scene where they're out shooting some propos and it's they're all sitting by a lake and it's the same thing they're sitting by katniss's lake yeah um in the book and in the movie i guess because uh, we've never actually seen the lake in the oh we did in the we, we see it the briefly very beginning of the first in the very movie. yeah um, but they're sitting there and uh, a mocking jays show up and she's sitting next to Pollux who we find out is an Avox mm-hmm. and this scene is in the movie and it's very very similar I just thought the book's version was slightly better specifically because so uh, he sees the mocking jay and he kind of points to like her pen and she goes yeah it's a mocking jay. Um, and I don't remember if she tells him the whistle or if he just starts doing it. I think he just starts doing it. Yeah. But he starts whistling and she's described, she's watching him and, and he starts whistling and then the Mockingjay starts whistling back at him. And she says that he just lights up and it's the first conversation he's had in years. Mm-hmm. And the scene in the movie, ha- it's all of that. It just doesn't quite have the same heart that I was like, he, yeah, you know it, what it I doesn't mean? It, have the same impact. Yeah. The, that, that line about it's the first conversation he's had in years. I didn't feel that that was the case in the movie scene. Like mm-hmm. it didn't, it didn't hit like his reaction. Didn't feel like somebody like feeling free or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. feel like yeah. having this sort of like, um, once in a lifetime moment for somebody who, you know, I, I don't know. It just felt very, no, it felt it felt like a little weaker compared to what we get in the movie or what we get in the book. Uh, but then he does ask Katniss to sing. Uh, and again, overall, it's pretty good in the movie. It's basically identical. It's just something about uh, it just doesn't quite capture what I imagined in the book and, and how powerful the scene in my head was in the book. Uh, but going off of that, he asked her to sing and she sings the Hanging Tree song, which she also does in the movie. Um, but we get more backstory in the book, which I thought mm-hmm. was interesting, where she goes through and explains uh, about how uh, her and Prim like made rope necklaces when they were kids. And then her mom found it and got mad and, and told her that she can't sing it anymore. And it was a song her and her dad sung. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. And the thing that most cracked me up and the reason I wanted to talk about <laughs> it is that so she sings the whole song. We get all the lyrics in the book. And then Katniss goes on to like do like media analysis for us. It's super funny <laughs> where she goes, she goes, being older, I began to understand the lyrics at the beginning. It sounds like a guy is trying to get his girlfriend to secretly meet up with him at midnight, but it's an odd place for a tryst, a hanging tree where a man was hung for murder. The murderer's lover must've had, must've had something to do with the killing, or maybe they were just going to punish her anyways, because his corpse called out for her to flee. That's weird, obviously, the talking corpse bit, but it's not until the third verse that the hanging tree begins to get unnerving. It's like, I felt like I'm reading like a book report. Like, I'm like reading Katniss's book report or, you know, like her her her, uh, her 11th grade lit paper about like the hanging tree. And it's just, I don't know, you're cracking up. She goes for like two pages. She goes on yeah, it's and a breaks very down long analysis of every all of those like symbolism of and what is going on in the song. And it just made me laugh because I was like, all right. 
I but guess it's maybe it's not a terrible breakdown of like how to do that process. No, and no, it really isn't. And I think it's actually again for the target audience age. I think it's actually fine. I, yeah. I think it just was a little funny to me. It's like <laughs> all right, it's pulling out her teacher, like pull out her uh, syllabus and is going through. Yeah, and yeah, no, it is. A, it, she does a good job, kind of going through, and it, I think it's a good way of showing kids how to think through, mm-hmm. like younger audiences, how to kind of think through analyzing media like that. It just made me laugh. And then after she sings the song in the book, and we don't get this this moment in the movie at all, Plutarch comes up to her and says, where do you come up with this stuff? Lucky the cameras were rolling, and then he kisses her on the head. And I wish we had gotten more of that weird Plutarch. That, yeah. like, kind of gross producer <laughs> so, Plutarch. Yeah. <laughs> that we get in the... He's just kind of... We get that a little bit. We get it in one scene in the movie when she's filming the studio stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's like yelling at her from the behind the glass or whatever was like the most we get of that side of Plutarch. Cause in general, we just kind of get the more congenial, like well-meaning, like, yeah. like, I don't know, affable Plutarch uh, in the movie. But I, I, I thought that scene belies some of Plutarch's like weirder, Ugh, Mar- marketing Plutarch. Yeah, not a fan of it, but I, I wish it had been <laughs> in the movie. Uh, and then there's a fun little scene while they're hanging out where uh, Gail and, and um, Katniss have had some tension over a handful of things at this point. Primarily, I think at this point, uh, is stuff with PETA, but then also the uh, disagreeing about like the the prep team and mm-hmm. other stuff like that. So they've just kind of been frosty for a while and they have this little, now that they're out in the wild together, um, they're kind of dissolved the tension among themselves. And she like throws a blackberry in the air and she's not sure if he's going to catch it or not. And at the last minute he catches it in his mouth and then she knows like they're going to be okay or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, it's a nice little scene. Yeah. And, and they bring back a, the line. Yeah. From, and it's a nice uh, callback to the first book as well. Yeah. Cause she, she tosses it and says, made the odds. And then he catches it and says, be ever in your favor or something like that. So I have uh, <laughs> Shelby message and said, she really likes this scene. Uh, I liked it overall. I liked it more after we, I'll just get into it. Uh, the scene where after the hanging tree song, um, we get sort of a chorus of the hanging tree being sung by lots of people. And then we cut to these people marching yeah. down to a dam. And then ultimately we figure out, find out it's the rebels taking a bunch of bombs down into the dam to blow up the dam, which we hear about in the book, but we don't ever see happen. Yeah. We, we, we know the rebels blow up a dam at some point. And I like the scene a lot. In, in particular, once they get down to the bridge and are like trying to storm across it and they're like getting mowed down and then like they get the bomb. It reminded me of uh, a lot of the scene from the two towers yeah. where they're like dragging the bombs under the mm-hmm. under the bridge or under the wall. Um, and then, the yeah, they got to run in there and blow it up. Uh, but the first part where they're all marching and singing the hanging tree song, I I I get it. And I didn't dislike it, but it felt like I had just been teleported into Les Mis. <laughs> and I was like, ah, this feels weird. Like, you know what I, I mean? I liked it. I didn't have a problem with it. To me, it just felt, again, I'm like I'm watching Les Mis now. Like, it's like they're it's like, a little too scripted. A little too, like, we're all marching together, like, singing this song, like, of rebellion. It just, again, I... Something about it felt, and again, the I think even because of specifically the way it's sung and because they're all like marching kind of in time, but not really together, something about it, it just felt out of place to me. That mm. first bit of it, 
I, I liked when the song kept going and then like they're like they're not like marching anymore because then it didn't I didn't feel like I was watching a musical all of a sudden like just there's like 20 seconds of it where I'm like why is this a musical all of a sudden like what is going on and I get what they're going for and I don't think it didn't work it just took me a little bit out of it because I wasn't expecting Les Mis I wonder if there was ever any discussion of a musical version of this <laughs> probably not I mean, maybe. So, Actually, maybe. probably, probably yes. Probably There's probably was. a discussion of a musical version of everything. <laughs> I think there probably yeah. was. Yeah. So following that, we get uh, we see Peta on Somebody the Capitol. Somebody could just do Les Mis. You just <laughs> but in but in the Hunger Games. In the Hunger I mean, Games. yeah, you could you could you could probably figure out a way to do it. I don't know enough <laughs> about the story of Les Mis to know if it tracks well, but I mean, I, I don't know that you could like pick up the exact same plot. No, but you could probably into, use a lot of the songs. But I think you could, yeah, you could probably repurpose, repurpose some of the music. A lot of the music. <laughs> <laughs> so we get more uh, PETA propaganda yeah. from the Capitol following this, um, and this is where he ends up giving them a warning yeah. that the Capitol is going to attack District 13, which was much more explicit in the movie, mm, mm-hmm. which I didn't really care for. No, I agree with that. I had this in the movie, nailed it because it's pretty similar. But you're right; it's it is, fairly similar. We but both it, said yeah. this watching the movie. Like, it's like, particularly much more explicit. It's particularly funny because in the movie, Hamish goes, "That's a warning," and we were both like, "Obviously, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't like." A, and I was. It made me actually wonder if like Hamish's line was recorded without because obviously they weren't mm-hmm. seeing pedo on the giant screen when right they were filming yeah that. he said that line in a vacuum they may have done the pedo part after yeah maybe you know what i mean like in a studio later recorded that and they didn't know what the line was going to be exactly because <laughs> pedo literally is just like they're coming they're coming to kill you all and it's like yeah in the book it's much more like he's yeah, kind of rambling and saying like more it, fragmented it's much things. more like in code yeah in the book. and he's he says like you'll be dead dead by morning dead by morning yeah and then Hamish has to kind of convince them that it's a warning yeah but it doesn't make any sense for him to have to tell them that it's a warning in the movie because it is very clearly a warning yeah i agree it's yeah it's so weird it's so silly uh it made me it made me chuckle a lot yeah in the book he says katniss how do you think this will end what will be left no one is safe not in the capital, not in the districts, and you in 13, dead by morning. Yeah. But like, yeah, it, yeah, I, I agree. Dumb change because that version of the book is still clear without being like super obvious. Yeah. And we don't get any blood splatter in the movie either. No, they like grab him and like. Yeah, and, and she sees like blood splatter on the tiles before yeah. the broadcast cuts out. Yeah, because the camera falls over yeah. in the book. She's like, the camera falls and you see blood. And then the movie is just like, they just grab him and the camera cuts off. It's a little more dramatic in the movie or in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then they all go even deeper down. Yeah, they have into, like into bunkers. Into, even District bunkers. 13 goes like down to the core of the earth, apparently. Pretty much. Uh, so so they go deeper down because um, Capitol's going to attack, um, and Prim and Gale almost don't make it through the gates yeah. in time because Prim went back to get Buttercup the cat, mm-hmm. who luckily had come inside on time, I guess. Apparently, yeah. Um, and this this line is almost in the movie, 
and we had it in opposite sections. Yeah. In the book, she says, I couldn't leave him behind, not again. Yeah. And I liked that as like a callback to her having to leave him in District 12. Yeah. But you felt differently. I didn't realize, well, to be fair, I didn't realize that line was in the book. I just forgot. Mm-hmm. So I had it in better than the movie, mainly because I just liked this line. I still think I could make an argument for the change being better than what's in the book. I just thought it wasn't in the book at all. But in the movie, the line is, I can't leave him behind, or I couldn't leave him behind. I couldn't live with myself. And I thought I like that because it's very clearly, she says it to Katniss, and it's something that very clearly sits in Katniss's head in mm-hmm. relation to PETA. Yes. And... I think both lines work in that regard. Yeah, I think they do. Um, and again, mine was mostly better in the movie because I thought that line just wasn't in the book at all. I forgot about it. So uh, During this whole thing, uh, Plutarch reminds Katniss that she has to put on a good show still and be brave like PETA. And she's like, I've she just wants to hit him because he's just obnoxious. Again, yeah. some of the more like obnoxious side of Plutarch, which I, I wouldn't have minded seeing in the movie. Uh, and then uh, during the bombing, uh, the bombing goes on for like days in the book. And I think it's only like overnight in the movie, it seems like. But it goes on yeah, it for several like days. It. Yeah, they're down there for days uh, in the book. And at one point when they finally the bombing lets up and Katniss makes it into the command center, uh, she goes in and they she sees that they've busted out the coffee, which <laughs> coffee is not allowed in District. Another dumb thing. Coffee's not allowed in District 13 because yeah. they have like really puritanical rules about like drugs and stuff. So they don't allow caffeine or anything like that. Um, but it's an, they busted out as an emergency stimulant, so, you know, to keep them all going because they're, they're up all the time trying to deal with the bombing and that sort of thing. Um, and I thought that was a fun little detail mm-hmm. again for a dumb thing. I also liked uh, Katniss because she's like, oh, I've never liked coffee. I think it's really gross. Yeah. Um, and then Finnick is like, we well, have to put cream and sugar in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I liked her in that moment figuring out like, oh, I actually like this. Yeah. <laughs> when it's doctored up with cream and sugar. Because I feel like that that to me is a very like late teens, early 20s revelation. Yeah. That like, oh, hang on a second. Wait a second. This is delicious. Wait a minute. <laughs> It also makes sense for her, too, because she's never had, like, sugar and cream are probably pretty, ex- well, she would have had cream because of the goat. They had a right. goat, which is never in the movies. But um, but sugar, I imagine, is pretty ex- probably, a, like, a commodity, and it's not something yeah. they had readily access. Yeah, I'm access. sure that she wouldn't have had readily ready access to sugar. Yeah. Probably not coffee, either. Probably not coffee, but coffee, depending on, yeah. Yeah, so probably not even coffee, but anyways. So they get outside after the bombing. And they want to go film a propo and be like, look, we got to just got to tell them that you're alive, that we're all survived. Nobody died. District 13 is fine. Your bombing didn't work, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they get her up to the surface and she gets into this giant pit. And as they get into the, this crater, she sees that it's covered in roses, mm-hmm. that they dropped white roses, uh, that President Snow dropped white roses uh, after the bombing. And she starts freaking out in the in the in the book and in the movie to some extent. Um I like this whole scene better in the book, in my opinion. Uh, But one of the main things is that in the movie, she starts yelling. She starts freaking out because she's like, he's going to kill him. He's going to kill PETA. Mm -hmm. He's going to kill PETA. And she like loses it. And that that's literally like the opposite of what causes her to freak out in the book Mm -hmm. is she knows he's not going to kill PETA. Yeah. That he's just going to torture him forever. Yeah. As long as she's alive and like part of the rebellion. 
and that's what causes her to freak out. And now I get in the movie, it's easier shorthand. Right. It seems easier for her to yell, he's going to kill PETA. But that's the whole point. And the whole point of the revelation with the the cat, which Mm -hmm. they even do in the movie. Yeah, they do that. Like the the cat chasing the light and and that that she's the cat and PETA is the light. Uh, And, you know, and then that in that instance, she's snow. (laughs) But, um, <laughs> but yeah, she realizes that, no, they're just going to torture him and keep him right. alive forever to torture me. Um, and so I thought that was kind of a dumb and annoying that they change it to, he's going to kill PETA and that being the thing that freaks her out because it's literally the opposite of the point yeah. of, of not yeah. what's going to happen, but whatever, I, it's fine. But on top of that, in the movie, she just sort of like hyperventilates a little mm-hmm. bit. In the movie, she like loses it. Like in she, the book. or sorry, in the book, she like loses it and is like sobbing and inconsolable yeah. and just like has a complete breakdown. And it just felt a little, I don't know, it's underwhelming. A, well, we, and we talked a little bit earlier about moments of vulnerability for her. Yeah. And this, I think, was another missed opportunity. I think the movie tried. Yeah. But it doesn't hit in the same way that the book does. Yeah, not in the same way as when you're reading the book. They literally have to like drug well, I guess maybe they do in the movie. I'm not sure. They like they like sedate her in the yeah. book and like take her uh, back down underneath because she's like just yeah, um completely lost it. One thing that I thought a little detail about, so they, they decide they're gonna go save PETA and Annie and some of the other tribute like Joanna and stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting is she finally she run after she knows that that's happening she runs into Finnick, and Finnick uh, she tells him that this is happening and she expects him to be like freaking out like she is about it, and he's like fine with it. He's like seems kind of like okay, and and he's like he says to her, and I, I liked this little conversation they have. <laughs> he's like, well, by tonight they'll either be dead or with us, one way or the other. It'll be over, like. It's a fair point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's like, and I, you know, it's it's a fair point because yeah, it's it's, and, and same for her. Like either Peter will be dead, and you'll you won't have to be suffering with this or anymore, or yeah, or you'll save him. Um, unfortunately, like a worse thing happens that she wasn't <laughs> expecting, which is they save him, and he's a he's a a Manchurian candidate. But yeah. Uh, also, Finnick gives his big speech, and we'll talk more about that in later segments. But. Uh, one of the things he talks about how is the capital basically sex traffics all the old champions, mm-hmm. um, prostitutes them out against their will. And she asks Hamish if that happened to him. Yeah. At one after she sees Finnick talking about this, she I think she asked Hamish. Um, pretty sure she asked Hamish and he that actually didn't happen to him. Be, and he says it's because they, they killed his, uh, his his entire family and his girlfriend within weeks of him winning the the mm-hmm. games um, because w- we found out in the last book how he won the games. He like exploited the Capitals, like the force, force field, field system yeah. to win the games. And they, in the same way that they hated Katniss for the berries thing, they hated him for that. And so they murdered his entire family and everybody he cared about. So they had no leverage over him because the way they, they can, they, the way they sucker people into the sex trafficking is by like, if if you don't, do what we tell you we'll just murder like your parents or whatever yeah. and so they do it but he's like they had no one to kill and they they couldn't kill me um because they wanted me to be like a uh an example to mm-hmm. future champions um and i thought that was a really dark horrifying yeah. little scene for like moment for Hamish. and i was 
kind of disappointed we didn't get any of that backstory for him because again it makes him a more tragic sad I, yeah i don't know i mean it makes all the champions more tragic and sad but that in particular i, I thought ugh. so let's talk about the final big change yeah kind of in the in the movie i mean it is, it is a pretty big change because this doesn't happen at all in the no book. no they're going to save Peta mm-hmm. and finnick Finnick, Finnick has, is doing it live in the movie. In the in the book, it's like they recorded these and they're yeah. broadcasting them. In the in the movie, it's all happening live, and Finnick is giving his big speech. And in the movie, they make it just Finnick. In the in the book, Finnick and Katniss go record some stuff. They edit together a, a piece, and they're going to broadcast that out. Um, and in this one, Finnick is talking live, and then at some point, though. Things start going bad in the raid and Katniss is like watching this all play out and she's like, put me on the air. She like volunteers to be broadcast to like get President Snow's attention. And I didn't hate that initially, like wanting like give like her like volunteering to do that in that moment. But then they do this thing where she spends like five. It feels like five minutes going. President Snow? Are you there? President Snow? Felt like for President ever. Snow, it's Katniss Everdeen, President Snow, and the way she does it feels like when you're on a Zoom call for work and somebody <laughs> disconnects. There's like the weirdest amount of like it's it all felt so casual the way she I, I, yeah. did you did you know what I'm talking about in that moment like I felt yes. like her delivery of President Snow? President Snow, this is Katniss. It felt so wrong for the moment that I was like, what? It felt so silly. Um, But I did. But so he does eventually come on and him and her talk. They have a conversation. And I liked the idea of that. I thought the whole thing played out. I thought uh, Donald Sutherland, who's usually great, I thought was a little too arch in this scene and like maniacal in a way that Snow usually isn't. Mm -hmm. He's just like, ah, like he's like very like, you know, must, must, uh, mustache twirling villain in this moment that Snow is a much more like cold, reserved kind of villain. I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't really like this. I, I didn't really care for it overall. I, I don't know. To me, it, it just didn't work. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan. I was not a huge fan. It just. Well, and it, it was kind of confusing for me too because at this point in the book, we don't know yet that like basically they yes. let it happen on purpose that, that the capital lets them take PETA. Yeah. We don't know that. We don't know that. So like I was watching the movie, like I don't understand because, but it, cause it just works. Like they well, get them out. Yeah. Because um, at one point they, they, there's a, there's a, a, a beat where like, what happens? Somebody says something and it becomes clear that like, Oh, cause he says like, Oh, your friends are in the, the building yeah. right now c- trying to come rescue young Peter or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, it's a trap. And she's like, it's a trap. Get him out of there. And it's like, we're both like, but, 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 but we know that th- it works. Yeah. But to be fair, if you had read the book and not stopped halfway, you would also know 
Right. That it was... That it was on purpose. It was on purpose. So we're in a very distinct situation where this doesn't work for us. Yeah, it it really didn't work for me. I was so confused. I was like, why are they doing this? Yeah. And it's so, like, it, it is, like, weirdly acted. I thought it was all way just not acted great. Like, that whole scene, like... In general, yeah, her and Snow, I thought both were just not... They're both very good throughout all of these movies, yeah. and I thought this scene just didn't feel right. Like, it felt like a, an afterthought, like maybe like a shot it in, like, in reshoots or something with, like, uh, I don't know, something I about mean, the whole maybe, thing. Yeah, maybe they did it more, like, accurate to the book and some executive was like, I don't understand No, we need what a confrontation between we Snow need, and Cat. We Kat need something either. more explicit than... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I was not a fan. I didn't hate it. I liked getting them in front of each other and talking to each other. I just don't think it played out very well. I don't think it it I don't think it came together in the way that if you told me they were going to have like Katniss and Snow are going to have a like during the raid they're going to she's going to like talk to them over the Yeah. I would be like, oh, "Okay, that could be interesting." But then if you show me this I'm like, "No, nah, okay. I guess that's what we got." Like maybe they both disagreed with the change. Yeah, maybe. Phoning it in. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I couldn't get over how much Snow didn't feel like Snow from the rest of the movie. He's just, mm-hmm. like, smiling and, like, again, just mustache-twirling villain, which is, like, not... Yeah, it's a much, like, it's a far less subtle yeah. portrayal Snow of that is, character. Snow is, he whispers everything, and he he leans in, and he, and he whispers in your ear that he's going to murder your whole family. He doesn't go... I know what you're up to. <laughs> you thought you could, you thought you were smarter than us. Like it's just, it's I don't know, not a big fan. Anyways, all right, that was what we had for better in the book. Let's go ahead and talk about what we thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. Uh, Finnick has a line at the very beginning of the movie, like right as right before the the opening title card uh where he says um they're talking about like Peta and annie and them and he's like i wish they were all dead and we were too and mm. i thought that i don't think that line's in the book i don't think it is but it really captures finnick in this book yeah finnick in this book and it just it, i think it's a good moment to sort of um it's a good and leading right into the title card i think it sets up the dire circumstances mm-hmm. of this movie and sort of the just how horrible it is for everybody <laughs> right yeah. now. Uh, there's a great shot when they get to 12. So eventually when we jump forward and she's going to visit 12 for the first time um, after the bombing and they get there and the, the hovercraft, we, we see them flying in and we don't see like much establishing shots of 12. Mm-hmm. They're like, they're flying over woods and then we cut to her getting out of the hovercraft and the hovercraft is behind her taking up the entire shot. And so we see her walk out and her reaction to what she's seeing, but we don't see what she's seeing. And we don't know at this point what, Yeah, this is the only thing, good thing they did with the district 12 reveal, because again, we talked about earlier about how it should have been the opening shot, but this moment is really cool. We see what she, she we see her reaction, but the hovercraft's taking up everything. She gets off and the hovercraft flies away. And as it flies up, it reveals the destruction behind her. And mm-hmm. it's a super striking reveal. It's a great moment. And I was like, okay, a little bit of redemption for how I wish you would have started the movie. This moment works really well. 
Like that was really cool. I was yeah. like, ooh, that's that's using film to your advantage there. <laughs> we also get like a big a speech by Snow, uh, kind of reestablishing him, and we like as he's giving this big speech, we see him execute or not him, but uh, peacekeepers yeah. are like executing rebels orders. in all over the in all the different districts. Um, and, and just seeing that again, I thought it's a good stakes setter for mm -hmm. the film, and mm -hmm. it just immediately dials everything up to 11 um and i yeah i like that moment there was a little moment during that scene that i really liked too where he where he um when snow starts talking about how anyone associated with the mockingjay symbol has committed treason and we see his granddaughter slowly start to undo her katniss yeah. side braid yeah which we established in the last movie which was a movie edition mm -hmm. um that his granddaughter is a complete movie edition yes um and there was something else that we liked in that yeah. movie, too, yeah. was his granddaughter being, like, a Katniss fan. Yeah, and we mentioned that, yeah, that she talks about how all the girls are doing their hair like Katniss and whatnot mm -hmm. at her school. And, yeah, that was a nice little moment. And then, like, almost immediately following that, we see Prim in District 13, and she has her hair in the signature side braid, which yeah. I also loved. Yep. Another movie edition that I liked, um, we see Katniss, we know she's having nightmares, um, and we see her in District 13 having a nightmare, and something that the movie added was her dreaming that PETA was there with her yeah, um, to help her through that, and then he's not there. Yeah. I, thought, I also had that note. I thought that was a really nice moment. It helps remind us as moviegoers who haven't seen hunger games since two years you know whenever the mm -hmm. last one came out reminding us of their relationship actually showing them together and that specifically that aspect of their relationship of him helping her through her yes. night terrors and that sort of thing an effie line that i loved especially since we lost some of the like talk of trying to to rebuild a republic yeah uh <laughs> and and effie has this line uh Everything old can be made new again, like democracy. Like democracy. Yeah, and her delivery of it is fantastic. <laughs> like, like democracy. Let's talk about the scene where they try to shoot her on a soundstage. So good. It was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's it straight. It, it could have been the movie, or movie nailed it, but they just elevated it just slightly. Um, it's so fantastic. My my favorite part of it, apart from the performance, is great. You know, Jennifer Lawrence doing this like stilted, horrible mm -hmm. um, thing. And then I loved, which is not in the book, uh, Plutarch on the other side of the glass, like yelling at her, like trying to get the yeah. performance out of her. Um, but she's standing on the soundstage and it's they have this like they have a future blue screen behind her. It's <laughs> this like weird, like grid system that has these little blue lights but very clearly hearkening and, and call it, uh, you know, calling back to uh, the blue screen used in film production in modern day. Um, and I, I, yeah. And they have the giant fans on her blowing her hair mm -hmm. and stuff. I, yeah. That whole and scene. I left the little moment when they say, they say something about like the background and she like looks behind, yeah, she her, looks like, behind her like, what? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, when she gets to the hospital in district eight, I loved the addition of everyone in the hospital doing the three finger district 12 salute for her. Yeah. Also going back to that scene, I just realized that scene where she's doing that, there was a blue screen behind her in 
when she was filming, like when Jennifer Lawrence was filming that scene. <laughs> I'm pretty sure because I'd have to go watch it again, but I'm pretty sure that giant like fake blue screen set yeah. is a digital, is a set. digital set. So in fact, she very is, it's very meta. <laughs> she is in fact standing and her turning around and looking at the blue wall behind her. She was actually, t- she didn't even have to act in that moment. It looped around back <laughs> on itself in a way that is wild. <laughs> yeah. I did like this little moment when, so when they, in the book, we just, the bombers show up in, in, in District 8 and start bombing things and blow up the hospital. Yeah. Um, but in the movie, and because we're in Katniss's perspective in the book, we don't know what led to that or, you know, anything. Right. But There's no indication that they, like, knew she was there or anything, anything like, like that. that. In the movie, we see, um, they have surveillance footage and they see her in District 8, mm-hmm. and then they send the bombers, and, and Snow has this little spiel about, he's like, bomb that, kill everyone in the hospital or whatever, uh, and, and his, like, his, you know, his generals or whatever kind of, like, look at him, and he says, everyone inside that hospital has committed treason. Show them what it costs to be friends with Katniss Everdeen. And I, I that's, I like that moment mm-hmm. for Snow. Again, because he does it, it's very, like, just cold and dark, and not like, ah! <laughs> I thought District 13 having its own cheer was interesting. Yeah, it's, yeah. It sounded it's like a right. football cheer. I kind of hated it because it sounded like a Marine. It's It sounded like they're going hoo like the Marine oh, yeah, thing. Yeah, it did. And I, but I guess that makes sense because they're like a military district. Yeah, and that's fair. And I think that's what they're going for. I didn't, I didn't mind it. Yeah, it was whatever. It, I, I was, in, I was indifferent to it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then. We get this is the best scene in my favorite scene in the movie. This is the best scene in the whole movie. I got chills watching this scene. Lumberjacks murdering peacekeepers. This shit totally because this is not in the book at all. Again, because we only stay in her perspective, in Katniss's perspective. This scene because you don't know where it's going. Again, as a book reader, no idea what's going to happen here. I mean, I you assume that something. You know, right there because and especially so there all these lumberjacks are walking through the woods and it's District 7, right? This, yeah, the, well, it's just the because it's Joanna Mason's yeah, district, it's the lumberjack, the lumber, district. The lumber, the lumber district. district. Yeah, the main export is lumberjacks. Yeah, it's like the Pacific yeah. Northwest or whatever. Um, and they uh, so they're all walking through the trees and the peacekeepers behind them walking them out to their, you know, to go yeah. cut down trees or whatever. And one of them whist- does the, you know, the Mockingjay miss- whistle. And they all just start running, and a bunch of them are getting mowed down, and super like, what is what is their plan here, or mm-hmm. whatever? And they all start climbing the trees, and you're like, what the fuck is happening? And it's wild, because it, and it looks cool because they're doing that, that. I don't know if you've ever seen like the lumberjack, yeah, the lumberjack climb. Yeah, the lumber, I don't know what like, it's com- called. Because I used to when I was a kid, every now and then on ESPN they'd play like the lumberjack uh, mm-hmm. games or whatever, where they like chop down trees and use chainsaws and stuff as fast as possible. And one of them is climbing a tree like that, where they use like a, a like a rope or a chain and they have like spikes on their boots and they like yeah. climb and climb a hundred foot tree in like 10 seconds or whatever. And they all start climbing these trees and they get up in the trees and all the peacekeepers are on the ground. Yeah. And, and it's like misty. It's foggy. Yeah, it's so they foggy. can't see them they when they get high enough. They, and, they're, and the trees are really tall. Yeah. Cause again, I think it's supposed to be like the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, so or all like these, Redwoods all or these lumberjacks vanish up into the they trees, vanish up into the trees. And then you just hear from the distance, uh, if we burn, you burn with us. And then this dude hits a fucking button and the whole forest fucking explodes <laughs> and just blows up all of these peacekeepers. It, I was so unprepared for that scene. And 
I literally got, I was like, holy shit, that was awesome. <laughs> that was so cool and so unexpected. And like, it like literally like took my breath away because I was just not prepared for it. And it was such a cool like action set piece, like, mm -hmm. like, but also like terrible and horrifying, but like, oh, uh, and then, yeah, I love uh, everything about that scene is just a master. I loved it. It was so cool. I love it. Best scene in the movie. <laughs> So Katniss and Gail go hunting in District 13, which they, they do in the book. Um, and this is mentioned in the book. They mention that, like, the animals aren't even afraid of them. Uh, but I liked this scene in the movie where she aims her bow at this, like, massive stag or, yeah. like, a moose or something. It's huge. Um, and then she it just, like, looks at her and she can't bring herself to shoot it. And I think Gail says it almost seems unfair they're yeah. not even afraid of us. Yeah. And I, I liked that little scene. Yeah. It's funny because I was sitting on that and I was trying to figure out thematically what that scene was supposed to like, like what's who's the deer and who are the, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. it, I didn't, didn't, didn't track in onto anything in my head and immediately at least in terms of like, cause that felt like a very poignant, like we're making a point about somebody being the deer here and other people being the hunter, but nothing really meshed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I thought about, I didn't think about it too long to like try to put it together, but I thought about it for a minute or two as we were, and I was like, what is, I, I maybe, don't, well, I don't know that it necessarily meshes with like the, the players and what's yeah. going on in the main storyline. But I think it could kind of potentially mesh with what you were saying earlier about Suzanne Collins and this potential like message of like return to a simpler time kind of a thing hmm. when nature was natural. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it could be. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know. It's, it's, it is a nice, it's an interesting little scene and I did mm -hmm. like it a lot. I, cause I thought it, I thought it raised interesting. Like it, it was a nice little like slow scene that kind of made you think and go, okay. All right. And I mean, it, yeah. But at the same time I was like, well, but what are we, what are we saying with this scene? And I wasn't sure what we were saying with the scene um, was my only like, it's not even negative. Cause I'm sure it is. I just probably didn't, <laughs> I didn't put it together <laughs> while we were watching the movie. Cause I was immediately moving on to the next thing. But uh, yeah, it, it, I do. I did like that scene. I liked in the movie that they just changed. So in the book, Peta's second or third second propo that he does for the capital that we see mm -hmm. is um, he again. He's urging them all to. Uh... No, what is he? It's his the second one. This is specifically the one where he's addressing Katniss. Where he's like, Katniss, what are you? Um, I know you don't want any of this. I know you weren't. Yeah. You, you didn't want to be part of the rebellion. Um, like question everybody, is, figure out what they want, and but you know he's like yeah. trying to like appeal to her to like not be like not buy into the whole rebellion thing, um, and to like maybe not trust District Thirteen. And in the book, she sees that in the hospital with Finnick. Yeah, her she's and with Finnick, Finnick see it together. And then they pretend they didn't see it. Like yeah. Phoenix, like we're gonna pretend, just pretend you didn't see that. And um, and she does. And then she gets, and ultimately she ends up getting mad at Gail because Gail never tells her about it. Like she, right. she pretends she, yeah. she didn't she see it. She knows that he saw it, but he never says anything. He never to says her. anything about it. And then that causes a bunch of tension 
um, because she's like, why didn't you, you've been lying to me? Why didn't you tell me about that? What the, the propo Peter did, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, we didn't know. Blah, and it creates all this tension. And I, the movie kind of shortcuts all of that mm-hmm. by just having both of them see that together and then have vastly different reactions to it. And then that's what causes the tension. Like she's feeling for PETA and he's like, he's a traitor. And it just, I felt like they kind of shortcut it in a way that makes a lot of sense. And also just feels like it works. And without like the extra layers of like. Yeah, no, I I agree. I I, I think it, it does truncate things in a a nice way that also works for gail's character yeah especially since we lost the fight about the prep team yeah since they're not in the movie yeah i was a little sad that we didn't get to see her take finnick to the woods yes because i think that could have been a really nice like quiet and meaningful scene between them yeah because yeah she does take him out in the woods um in the book so when they go to district 12 for the second time uh, to film some more propos, um, this one in the movie, they change it up and they don't change it up. Cause this is what happens. They have Gail re- in the book, recount the bombing of district 12. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the book, we don't, he, we don't like get like a blow by blow analysis from him. Like she goes, Katniss wanders off to go do her own thing while he's from my memory. Like she goes somewhere else while he's filming this with them. Mm-hmm. But in the movie we stay with him and she stays with them and listens to him recount all of this. And this is also appears to be in the movie. The first time Katniss is hearing all of this in yeah. the book. She already knows what has happened to district 12. Gail told her about it or something already. Yeah. Um, so she knows all the details of what happened, but it seems like in the movie, this is her first time sort of hearing this all come out. And I really like that change. I really like sort of Katniss's reaction to hearing all this, being able to see that for the first time. And then also just watching Gail go through all of it. I thought Liam Hemsworth did a really good job in this scene. Um, and I thought it was just a, the way he they go through all of it makes it and, and walking, getting this story instead of from Katniss's sort of like head about mm-hmm. what happened to 12, having Gail walk, literally walk us through it was just a much more effective way more affecting way of doing that um and like he and this is a note i had because i was wondering if the movie was ever going to clarify this we find out in the book like in the very beginning that 90 percent of the people from district 12 are dead all died in the bombing which is like crazy um and and he does at this point in the movie say that um that like you know uh, 800 people of the 10,000 survived or whatever Mm -hmm. um and yeah, I, I really liked that whole scene with him um, recounting the bombing of 12. I thought that was great. We talked a lot about the hanging tree scene in the last section because um, it was better in the book, pretty close, but a little better in the book. There was one little change that I wanted to mention, which I don't think was in the book. If it was, I missed it. I don't think it was. Which was Plutarch mentioning that for the propo when they made their their propaganda piece out of her singing this song, he changed Necklace of Rope to Necklace of Hope. Yeah. That was a good Plutarch moment. That yeah. reminded me of the other, like, gross yes. Plutarch moments from the book. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was a, that was a, a fun little detail. And how proud he is of it. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah. Yep. So I really loved the bridge storming scene. We talked about the... Um, 
we talked about how I didn't love the opening of that scene with the song and how it felt like Les Mis, but when they actually get down to the bridge and they're like running out of the darkness across the bridge and the people are, sh and they're getting like mowed down and falling down and like trying to drag the bomb into the, it's super harrowing mm -hmm. and, and, and just, uh, that scene is super gripping in the same way that the, in a similar way that the, the, the lumberjack scene from earlier was where they, the movie doesn't shy away and it's something we actually get to see because we're not stuck in Katniss's perspective. It doesn't shy away from showing the human cost of revolution, yes. of what it takes yeah. and how many people have to die in order to do something like blow up a bridge uh, or blow up a dam in order to, you know, uh, cripple the, the capital so that they, you know. And um, I, I thought that scene, like the, the, the specifically the bridge part of that scene and, and the way it's shot was haunting and beautiful and amazing. And I just like being able to see more of the broader scope of the revolution apart mm -hmm. from away from Katniss's um, singular perspective. So I, I really like that scene. I also really like that uh, after when they're the bombing, the assault of District 13, that um, it starts before they get down into the bunker. Yes. Like they're on their way to the yeah, bunker. Yeah, they're on the like the big hitting. ramps going yeah. down, 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 down. Yeah, and, and they're on their way down, and I, I like that it kind of ups the stakes. Like, the lights go out while they're all going down the stairs, and, like, the sprinklers are going off, mm -hmm. or, or pipes are leaking, one of the two. Um, and, and, and it's just super chaotic, and, and, like, Katniss has, like, a PTSD attack in the middle of it, which yeah. I thought was kind of interesting, yeah. kind of visualizing that, getting us another moment of, of her dealing with that. Like, she, like, crouches down and, like, starts freaking out, and somebody picks her up, and she kind of has to power through it and that sort of thing. Um I thought that was all cool. I, I didn't, I thought the countdown at the end where they're like, once Gail and Peta show up or Gail and Prim show yeah. up, the like five foot was a little silly, it's a, little, a little bit, a little yeah, silly, a little but I get it. I get it. But, but yeah, but overall I liked, I liked that the way the movie kind of yeah. upped the stakes. of it. I, I did think the movie upped the stakes of that entire like part yeah. of this and in a good way, um, both by having it start while they were going down there and then like her looking up and like seeing a crack. The cracks. And also just having it be like constant more bombs. In yeah. the book, it's described as like a bomb every few hours. Yeah. And they're just dropping like a few really big bombs is what it sounds like in the mm -hmm. book. Whereas in the movie, it's more of like a traditional like bombardment of just right. like continuous like bombing on them. I it don't know. Makes, it made me think of like... Um, like when you when you watch something about like World War Two in in London and like yeah. the the London the Blitz, Blitz yeah. yeah, that's what it made me think. Yeah, of. absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, so. They make Phoenix uh, propo at the end during the the raid. Like it's just him giving a speech, which I thought worked better in the movie we talked about or in the book we talked about how like him and Katniss record a thing and they mm -hmm. edit it, and then she records a whole speech about how like. Peta saved her when she was starving with the bread. Yeah. And then Finnick goes and gives his whole speech. And then she mentions afterwards when she watches the edited version that like they barely use any of her story because Finnick's is just. It's more, just, it's so much more, more important interesting and more and, interesting and, and tantalizing. And it, yeah. And it just, uh, and so when that happened, it felt like the movie deciding, okay, well, we'll just make Phoenix thing yeah, be the thing just made sense. more sense it's like why do a thing where we're setting up this like because Katniss goes out and like bears her heart about this story and then we're like that nah, doesn't really matter it's not that important yeah. well, let's just use Phoenix thing it's like well I don't know that felt I mean there's a thing there of like you know if it bleeds it leads like Phoenix story being 
like her 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 very heart bearing like you know her bearing her heart uh, and telling the story about Peta um, was very tough for her. But then ultimately, it like getting a few seconds mm-hmm. is there's some there's I think there's a point there in terms of like how like news and stuff and 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 how media is. Uh, but that being said, I think it's cleaner to just be like Finnick's gonna go do his thing. Yeah. And yeah. that's the focus. I also liked um, that it's more than just a distraction. Yeah. Because in the book, they want it to be like a distraction so that everybody in the Capitol is going to want to tune in yeah. to hear what Finnick has to say. Uh, but in the movie, they're also using that to like jam signals and things like that in the in the Capitol. Yeah. And I really liked getting to see the rescue mission. Yeah. We were talking while we were watching the movie, like right before the scene, we were talking about how we thought they were going to do this. Yes. And you called it. I had, you were right. I had this in the, in the, in the movie nailed it, but I, it, it is actually more accurate in better in the movie. Cause it isn't what they do in the, in the book, but it is exactly what I expected is in the book. We get a brief description of the rescue plan after it happens. They yeah. kind of go through like, Oh, it involved gas and you know, night vision, whatever they mm-hmm. like go through all like some of the details in like one paragraph, but not, not much. Um, and I wrote as I was reading that, I was like, I wonder how the movie's going to show this because Katniss isn't a part of it. Like she's not there. Um, and I'm like, I don't think they're going to ma- have her go. I don't think they're going to make that no. big of a change. Um, and I'm and I'm like, OK, what I'm imagining is they're going to we're going to get like a montage, like a back and forth cut with the propo playing and, and Phoenix speech and footage from the raid and that is pretty much exactly what happens yeah. although Katniss is watching it um and we get it from like a first person perspective um but going back and forth between him and the raid back and forth and back and forth was exactly what I was expecting and so I had it in the movie nailed it because I was like in my brain that's what I was envisioning reading the book even though that's not what the book describes but it, it, yeah I really I thought that was a great decision uh that they made in the movie and I I, I really liked a lot about what they did with the raid there. Um, specifically, I uh, I like just seeing the rescue mission overall, but there's one shot in particular where when they first arrive to the building, which this is also different, the movie chain, which is I actually thought was kind of interesting from my memory. Mm-hmm. They d- I don't know if we ever know exactly where they're holding PETA in the book. I thought they did mention that it was in the... Tribute was center it the tribute the center? I, th- oh. I think they mentioned maybe that. okay, maybe it was, and I just forgot that. Or I might be imagining that. No, that might be, but that's what it is in the movie, and that might have been what it was in the book. I couldn't recall. Um, but we see them, uh, you know, going to the tribute center, and there's this great shot where they cut the power, and all the lights go out, and the hovercraft is hovering over the tribute center, and you see them all drop, repel down from the bu- from the hovercraft into yeah. the building, and it looks so fucking cool. It's such a cool <laughs> shot. That this, this movie did. Here's the thing. Remember how I talked about in the first movie? I think it was the, no, the Catching Fire, which is funny because it's the same freaking director. Yeah. Um, Maybe you got a different DP or other people involved who just had a better vision. But this movie actually did have some of those big striking visual moments Mm -hmm. that I wanted like the shot from the side of the bridge with everybody storming across it, getting mowed down, the people cry- going up into the trees. Again, neither of those are from the book, to be fair. But, um, <laughs> and and this, I guess, isn't either, honestly. Uh, technically, yeah. Because yeah. uh, we don't know what, you know. But um, that shot from the a big long shot 
and we see the, them rappelling down into the thing. I love those big like tableau shots. Mm-hmm. I live for them. They're so cool. And this movie has a couple really good ones. And that one, whew, I was like, yeah, that's dope. So I put this line here, and you think it's in the book. I'm like 99% sure. Um, I don't remember it being in the book, but you're probably right. But it, it was a Finnick line in the movie uh, when he's talking about President Snow, and he says, poison, the perfect weapon for a snake. Yeah, it is. Is it? Is it? Okay. Yeah, it's on page 172. Yeah, it, it's it's just uh, Katniss's literally that exact poison, the perfect weapon for a snake. It's just her thinking that. After well, she I hears, like giving it to yes, Finnick. <laughs> after she hears Finnick say that he poisons people, yeah, um, she says poison, or she thinks poison, the perfect weapon for a snake. But yeah, they give it to Finnick. I think it's, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I liked Coin's speech at the end, adding her like big triumph speech. Um, they're definitely setting up some stuff for part two mm-hmm. here uh they're using some authoritarian imagery uh that the book attaches to 13 and coin there's a moment in the movie where she's giving this speech and we get a shot from above her looking down and all of the people like tiny below her mm-hmm. and she's up on this giant pedestal giving this very you know using visual film language to um explore the growing power dynamic between the people and president coin um and that sort of thing uh and also i wanted to know is she intentionally a bad public speaker did you think did you i found her to be an incredibly mediocre and uninspiring public speaker and i was wondering if that was on purpose or just not a good performer you know what i mean i couldn't decide if that i felt like it might be on purpose a little bit, and we'll, yeah. see, we'll see again. It leans into maybe things in the second book or the second half. But I felt every time she gave a speech in this movie, mm-hmm. I was like, God, she is not charismatic. Like, she is not a good it, like, speaker. I feel like it almost has to be a choice. It's an interesting choice, given that, like, authoritarian dictators are often very famously, famously very yeah. good public speakers. Not always, though, as we've learned in recent years. Fair. But, but, <laughs> but very often, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, or at least, but but maybe not. And maybe that's the thing is that maybe they're not all as good. I don't know. Because I, I think even that sort of, I think I've heard, and I could be wrong, that that idea that we have of mm-hmm. authoritarian leaders, of them being sort of, you know, known as being great orators and stuff, isn't necessarily maybe as true as we tend to like mm-hmm. think it is like like it's i'm not saying it's not i just feel like i've heard on specifically on behind the bastards i think i've met, heard them mention in relation to certain um dictators through history that they aren't actually weren't actually maybe quite as good of like public speakers as we sort of mythologized them to be hmm. um and in fact it was more so that it was less like their silver tongue like bewitching the masses and more so that the masses are just racist at like racist authoritarian I assholes. I mean, that like, fits with the last four years. Yeah. Like it, it, it's a little bit less often that, that the person is like some, you know, super charismatic beguiling speaker and more so that they're just saying things that people secretly kind of agree with. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I could be wrong about that, uh, but 
and I was wondering if maybe that's anyways um but the visual the visual imagery of the speech is unmistakable of what mm-hmm. we're setting up here um in terms of uh coin and sort of the the bend that we're we're taking but i the my favorite thing about this speech was cuz it's not in the book at all or yeah. at least not yet and maybe she yeah. gives a speech at some point but um this whole like triumph victory speech and rescuing peter was not part of the of rescuing them was not part of uh, the book and I did love that big triumphant moment juxtaposed to Katniss coming across PETA. Yeah. Did I say PETA speech? I meant coins. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know what I said. But um, the juxtaposing coins big triumphant speech with Wait, PETA. With Katniss's personal horror. Yes. Finding PETA struggling and, like, losing his mind in his um, cell, essentially. Yeah. St- tied down to his bed. Yeah, I thought that was... Very, very good. Um, really, really powerful stuff. Uh, and then my last note was there's a little scene between Coin and Katniss where Coin is kind of consoling Katniss. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was a nice little scene. And I think it's um, I don't even remember much of what is said. They just kind of have a little moment of. Again, not camaraderie, but Coin is kind of like trying to console her, trying mm-hmm. to, like, reach out to her. Um, and Katniss seems to kind of accept it. And I think that that is a good little scene to sort of juxtapose to where events go down the road. So, yeah. without spoilers. Anyways, that was what we had for Better in the Movie. We got a big old long list for the movie Nailed It, so let's get into it. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. So we open up on that scene you talked about in the beginning where she's like hiding in District 13. Um, and one of the things that the very first thing we, she opens, we open up on is she's, she's reciting this mantra, which is something she recites in the book, which is like, my name is Katniss Everdeen. I'm from District 12. I survived the Hunger Games twice, but like all these things that help ground herself and help her remember who she is. Um because she's been having since she got a concussion from Ke- uh, Joanna knocking her out, mm-hmm. um, she's kind of been kind of foggy, and this is like her thing. And I liked them including that little moment uh, more so for book readers than anything, because I don't know if it would really make sense to moviegoers what why she's doing that. Yeah, probably not. Because in the book, we we know that she's doing that to again to kind of center herself and a reminder of who she is. And that scene kind of opens right up on 13, like violating her autonomy and like yeah. dragging her out of this hiding space that she's in, um, which I think, again, is interesting that then the movie goes on to sort of very soften, soften 13 yeah. to open on such a stark yeah. um, opposite of that was kind of an interesting choice. But well, and I, I think the purpose of that was probably just to lean into that like Un- unsettling mystery like, at what the is beginning. This? Yeah. Of yeah. uh, Finnick having the breakdown and then being in the hospital the whole time and his coping mechanism being tying knots mm-hmm. with his little rope. Uh, they do that in the movie. Uh, we talked about Mahershal Ali is perfect as Boggs. Uh, Chef's kiss. Yes. So good. Um, the, the look and feel of 13, apart from again, them softening some of the elements of it, uh, I thought the look and feel of it was was what I imagined. Yeah, it's all like like these big giant underground rooms, concrete and, and steel and mm-hmm. bunkers, and and uh, they all dress in their their identical jumpsuits and that sort of thing. So I thought that was uh, pretty good. Um, speaking of coin from earlier, I thought Julianne Moore 
is kind of exactly what you imagine. Yeah. When you read Coin's description in the book, um, she has that severity and like calculated coldness that I imagine for Coin. Although in the book, I imagine Coin's hair being shorter than a little Julianne's. bit. Yeah. Like I thought it was at her shoulders, yeah. and it goes down. It's a, a, it's a little longer in the movie, yeah. but I, I think they nailed the like the like very uniformness yeah. of her hair that's described in the book where yeah. it's all like the same length. Exactly the same length. Lays like perfectly, perfectly flat. And, yeah. 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 There is one thing that I thought was interesting again, kind of going into the, uh, her description, uh, one of the elements of her description. And I think they did give her contacts in the movie because, uh, in the book it's described that her eyes are gray, but not the kind of gray that, that the, the, people from 12s are mm -hmm. it's like she specifically describes it as like the color has been sucked out leaving only mush yeah which again i think we're uh, that's clear foreshadowing for her character but also kind of leans into some of the the weird like socialism bad stuff that we talked about earlier um, like her soul has literally been sucked out and turned into gray mush by this, yeah. <laughs> by the collectivism <laughs> of 13 or whatever. Uh, District 12, when she finally goes to visit it is. Yeah. The, oh, they nailed the, the smoking remains of District 12. Yeah. Um, right down to her, like stepping on a skull and yeah. seeing all of the like melted bodies of people trying to get out. Yeah, on the street. Yeah, it's just and there's a great shot in the movie where she walks up over this edge and the camera pans up and over and there's just bodies, you know, mangled bodies as far as you can see. It's yeah, horrifying. This movie does one of the better jobs compared to the first two of not shying away from some of the brutality, mm -hmm. at least to some extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, one thing that is still standing in District 12, though, is Victor's Village, mm -hmm. which we see in the movie. Um, although we don't get the Katniss thinking about how it's probably so that if they have to send anybody there, they'll have somewhere nice to stay. Yeah, if the capital has to send anybody out, they'll have a, yeah, a nice residence. Uh, we get the scene of her going to her house in Victor's Village and collecting all of her stuff. She gets, like, her dad's jacket, mm -hmm. um, which hasn't been set up in the movies at all, but a little thing for book readers when she grabs yeah. the leather jacket off the peg. Uh, and then she also rescues Buttercup. Yeah. She <laughs> stuffs a cat in a bag. Yeah. Which, uh, I'm trying to imagine putting either of our cats in a bag, and it does not compute. No. Would not go well. Mm -mm. Uh, uh It's funny, too, because... Buttercup does not like Katniss all that yeah. much. Like she tolerates her at times. And the idea of a cat who doesn't like somebody letting that person stuff them in a bag is although to be fair, I mean cat or Buttercup is probably like, things kind of suck around here. I'll go wherever. <laughs> You're taking me out of here. Uh so then she goes and explores around the rest of the house and she gets into a, like the study and she sees, or it might be her bedroom. I think um, it's the study. Yeah. And and she finds a single rose left on her dresser in the movie. It's like on a table or something like that in a vase of dead flowers. Yeah. There's like a single living rose in it. Um, and I thought this moment was so classic third movie opening to me. I again, if we had opened on the distillation of District 12, like we talked about, and then um, I for sure get, thought we were going to open on in 12 with her in 12 boom reveal 12's devastated like oh, like like black hard cut 
bombed out 12 with a tiny Katniss standing in the, like that was my mm-hmm. that was 100% what I thought the movie was going to open on just like nothing boom big wide landscape shot 12 is rubble and Katniss is standing in the middle of it and then eventually she keeps walking around we're cutting back and forth to to kind of setting up 13 and then the moment in the in the movie the moment before the opening title card that says Mockingjay Part 1 is Finnick in the hospital saying like I wish we were all dead which I think works but mm-hmm. what I was envisioning was we're cutting blah, 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 blah. we do that for like the first you know 5 or 10 minutes and then she walks into the study she turns around she sees something on the dresser and she walks and I'm imagining the camera slow pushing in and then kind of arriving kind of how it did with the berries at the end of the mm-hmm. first movie on the bowl with uh with, oh, with yeah, Seneca where Crane where it kind of pushes in and, like, and kind of goes down. I was imagining that over to the rose and then she walks over and picks it up and looks at it and knows and then we cut to Mockingjay. Mockingjay. Part Part one. That's what I was envisioning. <laughs> I was like that's got to be it, wasn't it? But if they ever want to make one of do redo remakes of this movie, they know who they um, they got my I'll give you my number. Get on it Hollywood. <laughs> I thought the movie nailed PETA's first TV appearance uh, where he's interviewing with Caesar. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did think that the the reaction everyone had to in it 13, felt yeah. a little extreme compared to what's described in the book. Yeah. Because everybody in the movie, everybody starts like shouting. Like, Trigger! Yeah. In the movie, in the book, they're just kind of like, oh, like grumbling. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 It's a little over the top. And they had to play it up a little bit. I also thought that it nailed uh, the conversation between Katniss and Prim Mm -hmm. the night before when she's still kind of deciding that she's going to be the Mockingjay. Yeah, and that was a nice little scene in the book of, and in particular, the movie keeps in the line of of Prim being like, yeah, I can keep secrets or something like that. And and kind of signifying the coming of age of Prim and how their relationship is changing Mm -hmm. past, like, older daughter, like, child, or not... Older sister, like child right. sister, more yeah, to we're, like. Yeah, we're progressing past Katniss as a surrogate parent yes. and getting more into them having like a sisterly relationship like a as equals. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying not to dwell on it because I hope I'm wrong, but boy, the first half of this book really just focused in on how great Prim is becoming. Yeah. And and what a great person she's <laughs> maturing into. We're going to not think about it. I don't know what happened in the second half of this book. Yep. So when she goes in, we talked about how her permit. Uh, we talked about her presenting her list of demands for command in order to be the Mockingjay is pretty much the same. But there's one little moment that I thought that I was glad that the movie kept in. Obviously, they got rid of Fulvia. But in the book, Fulvia and Plutarch have this little whispering bout during Katniss like giving firely giving her demands and they're like they turn to each other like there, that's the mocking there she is look at that she, like they're like whispering <laughs> to each other and Plutarch does that in the movie like yeah. he's he, he he's like there there's our mocking Jay right there. yeah look at that ah like he you know he's like envisioning the 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 propos as she's giving that speech and I like that coin adds afterwards coin goes out and gives a speech saying yeah we're gonna pardon Peta and all those things uh, but then at the end of her speech, she adds a little addendum that if Katniss violates any of the rules or doesn't mm-hmm. complete her end of the bargain, all of this is null and void. And I like them keeping that part in because I thought that was an important moment. Uh, again, it kind of strikes a little similarity between the way that like Snow sort of manipulates people mm-hmm. sort of in the public light and that sort of thing. I, I thought 
thought that was a good moment. I was glad they kept that specific moment in. Uh, the Mockingjay armor is, other than the hood, yeah, is pretty it's, much it's what pretty I imagine. Spot on, yeah. yeah, I mean, we don't they don't go into great detail in the book of what it looks like, but uh, it, it's black and <laughs> body armor <laughs> kind of looks like yeah, a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and we just have the sort of bluntly being told that Cinna is dead. We don't mm-hmm. ever, it's one of those, this is one of those movies that breaks the rule of like modern movie and television, which is if you don't see them die on camera, they're not dead. Yeah. And in this one, <laughs> seemingly, yeah. uh, Cinna just dies off camera and we never, yeah. <laughs> uh, never to be heard, heard from again. Well, that's not true. I mean, and she does get to see his drawings yes. of the, the Mockingjay costume. Um, and he did his, uh, and he has, I'm still betting on you yeah. written on the drawings. Yeah. Uh, as they're getting ready to film the first propo with her, uh, and she's in her armor and her makeup and stuff. Finnick has this line, um, but they give it to Effie in the film, which is fine. I think uh, it works for Effie. Yeah, I think it works for Effie, where she says to her, they'll either want to kill you, kiss you, or be you. Yeah. And that was definitely a line that was especially delivered by Finnick that was um, edited by Suzanne Collins for <laughs> for um, younger audiences. There's no way that line wasn't, they'll either want to kill you, fuck you, or be you. Yeah. Like, there's no way that wasn't what the line was initially, and then <laughs> they changed it to kiss you. <laughs> And then after her uh, terrible blue screen performance, we get Hamish with the slow clap. Yep. <laughs> and that, my friends, is how a revolution dies. Yeah, yeah. It's a great, it's a great introduction for Hamish. It's in the same introduction in both. Well, I guess he's kind of in. I can't remember, but um, it's ba- basically his introduction in a uh, in the movie and in the book. And uh, we also. She mentions in the movie that he isn't looking well, yeah, and which was something described in the book because he's now sober, yeah, because um, they don't allow they alcohol, don't allow alcohol, in they don't allow anything, 15. and so yeah, he's he's like thinner and kind of shriveled and doesn't look doesn't look like he's getting on so good. <laughs> I really thought the movie did a good job with the scene where Hamish has everyone come up with times that Katniss inspired them or made them feel something, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That scene is like, this is another one of those scenes similar to the one in Catching Fire where Finnick and her first meet, mm-hmm. where it's like every word is like line for line. Like yeah, they just like copy pasted from scene. the book and made it look like a script. Yeah, because he literally says every word that I recalled from the book in that moment. Um, and then, yeah, at the end of it, he recommends uh, throwing her into combat mm-hmm. so that they can actually get some good footage. And then the exchange with uh, Coin and Katniss, where she says, and what if you're killed? Make sure you get it on camera. Yep. Uh, And then speaking of getting it on camera, we're introduced to the film crew as they're getting ready to go out to District 8. uh, And that consists of Cressida, Pollux, and Avox, and then her assistant, who I can't remember his his name. Or no, sorry, Um, Pollux and Castor. Yeah. Pollux is an Avox. Um, which, do they even say Avox in the movie, or do they just say the capital cut his tongue out? Uh, I can't remember I don't now. remember. Because I remember them saying they cut, they cut his tongue out, yeah. but I don't remember if they say well, he's the mo- the mo- I think they do but say the Avox. movies did a pretty bad job of setting that up. Oh, that's the thing. That's, so, I was, that's why I was wondering, because yeah. they had never mentioned Avox before this. Yeah. And so I was wondering if they used the word Avox here, because people would be like, what? Or if they... My bet is that they said Avox and then explained it. Yeah, probably. 
Um, but then whoever Cressida's assistant is. But yeah. Um, also, so <laughs> this is fun. Uh, Pollux, the Avox, is played by Foggy Nelson uh, from the Daredevil series. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, he's um, Fulton or whatever uh, from the the uh, the Mighty Ducks series. Hmm. I think it's Fulton. I can't remember. F- whatever. Um, one of the one of the main characters, kind of in the Mighty Ducks movies, but he's Foggy Nelson in, in um, Daredevil. And then Caster is the dude from the Expanse, who I can never remember the character's name, uh, but he's one of the main crew members uh, from the Expanse. So that was interesting. Hmm. I did not realize he was in this. Um, and then, yeah, Natalie Dormer plays Cressida and she uh, she does do a very good job as Cressida. Yes. And I thought she nailed like the look. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So in the book, apparently um, she, her head is entirely shaved. Yeah. And she has tattoos all yeah. over it. And, and um, I read in a I don't think I mentioned this, but I read in the when I was doing research for the prequel. Mm hmm. That it was Natalie Dormer's idea to shave half of her head mm-hmm. and do the tattoos like that, which I thought yeah, works. it looks it, cool. It, makes it, it looks cool. Yeah. And it makes sense. And that kind of like half shaved, like undercut, was very in yeah. then too. Yeah, this is, I was like, oh no, I'm in love with Natalie Dormer in another movie. Oh no, oh no, again, <laughs> again, <laughs> again. So Katniss getting to eight uh, and seeing the chaos of the aftermath of the bombing in the hospital. um, It's very vividly described in the book, uh, like the smells and the Mm -hmm. sounds and everything. Uh, And specifically when they walk into the hospital, they have all the dead bodies like in the the foyer, in the the hallway, the hallway before they get in. And that's the same in the book. And there's a moment in the movie where you see Katniss like covering her nose. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's specifically described how terrible it smells in the book. Uh, and so I thought they did a good job, a pretty good job of kind of capturing the horror of that, like, field hospital yeah. and how awful it would be. Uh, and then when she gets in there, everybody recognizes her and is inspired by her. And she mentions that she's really glad she washed all the makeup off like Boggs recommended because uh, she's like, this, it just wouldn't yeah, <laughs> feel super wouldn't. wrong in this setting uh, <laughs> if I was still wearing all my makeup. Um, so the hospital gets destroyed. One of the little details, and the movie doesn't, allude to this but i thought it was a really interesting detail in the book and it it trans it translates to the movie where if you read the book you would see this but it doesn't if you didn't read the book you wouldn't get this but so gail's a minor and there's a moment where after they they blow up all the ships and they're running back to the hospital because they know the hospital got hit and they get around the corner and they see that it's like on fire and collapsing and she's like trying to like she's thinking about like going in to try to help people. And she looks at Gail and he doesn't move. And she realizes she's like, well, if Gail's not doing anything to try to help, it's that's a lost cause because Gail being a minor, like he knows this kind of situation, but also like they don't, they try to help until they know like it's completely a lost cause. And the fact that he's not trying to do anything makes her realize, Oh, like that, the way that hit was like, Oh, and that is what transpires in the movie. It's just we don't get her inner monologue talking us through mm-hmm. it, but uh, it works. Uh, and then we get her big speech. If we burn, you burn with us, mm-hmm. uh, which is word all, for word. It's, it, it's all like exactly no reason word. to change. No any reason of to that. change that. No it's great speech. Yep. Uh, and then the propo that they produce from that is pretty spot on to the description from the book, apart from maybe Claudius Templesmith's. Uh, 
I voiceover. really, I really, really hated oh, the yes. slogan at the end, though. So in the movie, it ends with "Join the Mockingjay, join the fight." Yeah. And the book just ends with "If we burn, you burn with us." Yeah. Coming up on screen again, and like I, I get that it's supposed to be an overt marketing. Like, that's what we're supposed to get from watching this. Right. Like, oh, this is a marketing tactic. Yeah. So I understand the movie's slogan, but at the same time, it was so cringy that it took me completely out of the moment. Yeah. It's also kind of counterintuitive because the the people, the people, uh, Cressida and Plutarch and in the book, Fulvia and all them are so competent. Yeah. At producing propaganda. Yeah. That they wouldn't they have wouldn't, such a, they wouldn't no. end on such a cheesy, like. Well, and it, it, uh, it, like, it doesn't make any sense to me, too, because they're trying to get people to join a rebellion, but that kind of like join the Mockingjay, join the fight, to me, it reads more like, like it feels like a World War II era yeah. war effort. And that's. A, that's what they're going for. for and I get that, yeah, but I don't think it works. No, I agree. Yes. But I don't know if it, the point is that it wouldn't work. I didn't like it. I, I, yeah. No, that is fair. The last little join the mind. I agree that that part's dumb, but the rest of it is, is pretty much what we, what we get in the book. Uh, uh, coin lets Katniss and Gale go hunting, which mm. is one of the things that they, they bargain for in the, in the book. Um, and I like, they do this earlier in the book than they do in the movie. I like giving them this time here after the big battle at eight. They go hunting before the battle in the, yeah. in the book. Um, and I like giving them some quiet time there and kind of nice decompression, like them mm -hmm. sitting by the river and stuff. I, I thought I thought that was good. I mean, again, it's in the book. It's just kind of changed when it happened. The second time they go to District 12, um, Katniss kisses Gale mm -hmm. when they're in the house. Um, and they have this little kind of conversation about it um, where he acknowledges that the only time she ever pays attention to him like that is when he's in pain. Yeah. And I thought that the movie did a good job translating that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only thing from that scene that was missing is that when they kiss, she has this, I think it's this moment. It might've been from an earlier moment or something, but there's a moment where they kiss and she describes, she says, we taste of heat, ashes, and misery. <laughs> and that line, oh, we taste of heat, ashes, and misery. Surprising flavor for such a gentle kiss. Which is a great, uh, yeah. this is a great line. Obviously, no way to really translate that into yeah. the movie at all. But I just, uh, that's such a great line. And we'll talk about it here real quick. Because um, we both had this moment in in the, uh, and maybe it would be more make more sense to talk about in this part two. But we'll, we have it here now. Is I've heard people say, that this that these movies like one of the main criticisms I've heard of these movies is that they focused too much on the relationship and turned it too much into like they wanted too hard to be Twilight and mm -hmm. sort of leaned too hard into the love yeah. triangle aspect. That was always the primary criticism that I had heard about yeah. these films as well. Yeah. And we both and, and this was that moment where we I turned to you and said that and I said I had always heard that and I and then I was like I don't think they did. I don't feel like they did because I'm struggling to come up with any additional love triangle stuff that's not just a translation From of something that happened in the book. Yeah. And maybe I'm forgetting something, but I, I couldn't come up with anything. Everything, every scene that is a like relationship focused scene in the movie 
has a direct corollary in the book. If it's not a if it's not a pure rip, like if it's not yeah. a, a direct scene from like the book, a, a like lift. this, like this one though, this is where you kissed me scene. Yeah. That's a direct scene lift from the book. If it's not that, almost every other scene has like a, a, a it's it, you know, it's like a trans. They took like an element of this scene and just moved it somewhere else or whatever. And but even then, I felt like these movies didn't remotely focus. I almost felt like the books focused on the relationships more yeah because we're in katniss's head and we can hear and we can hear all of her confused thoughts about what she's feeling yeah whereas in the movie we just get some of the like physical manifestations of those scenes and it's i i was blown away and again i don't think it could change much there's so much has to happen in the second movie plot wise Mm -hmm. that i don't think we're going to be spending a ton of time there is we wrap up loose ends obviously with like the love triangle and stuff but like I, yeah, that criticism, I was, I was uh, three movies in, I'm like, I don't know where that criticism came from. And I'm, if you levied that criticism, I'm not saying you're wrong. I would just like to hear why or like what it yeah, is like, that makes like you what, feel or like, did at least make you feel. Let me see your bullet points Yeah, for what, like what your evidence is of that. Because yeah, to me, it feels like if anything, the movie's focused on it less than the books. It, and I will say this, I think the only argument to be made is that because the movies in relation to the books are shorter, like mm-hmm. page length wise, essentially like the, you know, the movies are considerably shorter than the books mm-hmm. and they cut a lot of stuff out that the proportion of time that the relationship stuff so takes there's up a higher percentage is a it. higher percentage in the movies than it is in the yeah. books. But I bet it's so it not feels like more, but I still don't even think it's that much more because I think there is, more scenes of relationships and more moments of relationship stuff in the book than there is in the movie, but there's also just a lot more book. So Mm -hmm. like it, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be, if you told me the math came out that the percentage of time spent with relationship stuff in the movie was slightly higher than it was in the book. I don't think I'd be surprised, but it also wouldn't, it would surprise me if it was a lot more. Cause to Mm -hmm. me, it feels pretty close in terms of like plot and, and and you know thematic and other other relevant stuff versus like her relationship stuff the proportion feels pretty close to me in both the yeah. books and the movies i don't know i don't know uh let us know what you think yeah it's interesting it was something that i thought was interesting uh so the propos battle broadcast where they're going back and forth um this is the second or no i had the this is the one before the warning, I think. Yeah. Yes. This is the one where, where Pete is going to give the warning. And BT is like hacking in and we're going mm-hmm. back and forth between the capital propaganda and the rebellion propaganda. And one of the things that I thought the movie really captured in this moment is in the book it's described. Everybody's like, yeah, cheering for BT whenever he gets the, the rebellion propaganda in. But like Katniss and Hamish and Finnick are all kind of like just because c- they're worried about people uh, like... The thing that I thought the movie really captured is that Katniss in this moment is she's watching this and and she's like hanging on every word PETA is saying. And anytime the rebellion propaganda comes in, she's actually like annoyed. Yeah, because she's like they're like cutting off PETA and she's like she's desperate for every crumb of like, you know, seeing him alive and, you know, that sort of thing. And like anything he has to say, Um, 
And I thought this scene did a really go- job, good job capturing that dynamic of, you know, the whole rebellion being like, yeah, we got to uh, trying to get their, their message out and her being like, I just, I just care about him. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't care about the rest of this. We get a nice quiet moment with Prim while they're down in the bunkers during the bombings uh, where she tells Katniss that she's going to be training to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice, nice little moment. And yeah, she's like, I'm going to they're training me to be a doctor. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, and then Buttercup chases a flashlight. Crazy cat game to everyone's amusement. Yep. Uh, I was wondering if they were going to include that, but they did. Uh, and specifically, they also included the moment where Katniss realizes, oh, this is what the Capitol's doing with PETA. Mm-hmm. She like has that dawning realization. And then her conversation with Finnick down there was also pretty spot on. Yeah. Uh, very, another Finnick scene that they kind of kept verbatim most, not, not quite as close as some of the other, as the other one from catching fire, but one line specifically that they kept that I thought was really important. Uh, and clearly the screenwriter did too. Um, Finnick says, this is about PETA. Um, you do love him. I'm not saying in which way, Maybe you don't know yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was obviously um, with everything we've discussed about Katniss's reading as ace and all these different things. I thought that line and keeping that line in the movie was really important. I don't know if the rest of the movie has the context for it necessarily, <laughs> but yeah. I was glad they kept that line in because that line stuck out to me when I was reading the book. And it, it's one of those scenes that's nice because I, it, I, Finnick's a really interesting character mm-hmm. and it becomes more interesting in this book, even in the second book um, and the way he sort of sees and understands Katniss, I think is really interesting um, because he's so different, Yeah. but also he understands her in a way that I find really compelling. Uh, we find out that Peta's warning bought them like 10 minutes worth of time, which ultimately we find out in the book. And I don't actually know. Well, we know they do say that it bought us 10 minutes worth of time, but they don't say in the movie Katniss realizes in the book that that 10 minutes essentially saved Gail and Prim's life. Yeah. That if they hadn't had that warning, they would have not made it into the bunker. And yeah. They would have died. Um, in the movie, Coin says, hey, PETA's warning bought us 10 minutes and I'll remember that and kind of has like a, you know, like, uh, uh, I'm thankful that he did that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the book, there's this really you know sad moment where katniss feels guilty and and is like racked with guilt knowing that she'll never be able to repay pita again yeah for saving you know uh gail and prim's life just another thing that she won't be able to to you know he once again she could live a, a thousand lives and never um deserve him or whatever I thought the movie nailed when they they climb out and they're in the the giant crater filled with roses. Mm-hmm. Very visually impactful. President Snow is such a drama queen. It absolutely is. Yes, she's all all about the theatrics. The theatrics, the aesthetic. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and I thought, yeah, specifically the way it's revealed in the movie was really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it worked really well. Gail volunteers his tri- <laughs> his tribute. <laughs> He does, though. He does. He, yeah, does. he absolutely does. Uh, he goes to rescue. Uh, they're sending a rescue mission to get PETA. And uh, Gail was the first one to volunteer, even though he doesn't really like PETA. Even though I feel like he wouldn't have the kind of training that they need. Yeah, we did to do a, this, yeah. an operation like that. Because, I mean, he's a capable dude, but he's not military. He's not a soldier. He's a miner who can shoot a bow. But yeah. apparently, yeah, he's like spec ops now. He's like. <laughs> 
clearing. Now, to be fair, they've been at 13 for a while, so he could have been fair training. Enough. Yeah, and, he could have been. he picked it up quick or whatever, but yeah. Uh, the whole thing where Fennec's story about how the capital was, you know, sex trafficking all the champions um, and they would kill your family members. And it's funny. It's one of those things that it seems obvious in retrospect. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because I, I remember there was a, there was a, a moment in the in Catching Fire where I made a joke about Finnick fucking his way through the Capitol. Yeah. And because that's how it's described in the second book. And it's, it's one of those things that really, this book really pulls the rug out from under yeah. you in regards to your perception of those events uh, in a really effective way that made me really like, oof, yeah, just like, and, and again, in retrospect, seems obvious based on everything we know about the Capitol. Yeah. And how it operates. It's like, uh, yeah, obviously that would be what would be going on, but yeah, I, I thought I thought that was really. Again, I don't know if it's quite as explicit in the movie. They don't go quite into the detail, and it's a little harder to track because we're jumping back and forth between an action scene and the speech. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that makes it a little tougher, but it still it still works. It's still good, uh, and, and including him divulging all the secrets uh, of how Snow poisoned his way to the top. And that he drinks the poison himself, uh, which is why his mouth bleeds. Yeah. So now uh, the smell of blood on his breath and also the red champagne. Yes, we get our from the last movie. Makes sense. Yes. The the, the blood in the glass is, in fact, was not just light. It was, in fact, blood. And it's and in case it wasn't clear, he when he's poisoning people, he also drinks the poison. He takes an antidote so he doesn't Mm -hmm. die. But it still uh, causes like lesions and stuff in his mouth. Yeah. Like it doesn't. Sores that never heal. Yep. So says Finnick. Yep. Although, how much backwash is he letting back into his champagne glass? Yeah, that's Gross, a lot. Gross, sir. Yeah. Gross. Yeah, that's an awful lot of backwash. He's just like swishing and spitting, spitting it back in into the glass. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Annie and Finnick reunite. They have a, a reuni- reuniting moment. Uh, and. In the book, Katniss rem- thinks to herself of, of how jealous she is of the certainty of their relationship. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, again, a, 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 an important moment for her character and her turmoil about what she wants and, yeah. and her identity and all that sort of thing and, and her relationships. Um, we get that scene and we do get a look that I think translates in the movie when she looks at them. But again, we don't know what she's thinking. We can just assume based on... Um, so it's not as explicit. But I think, I think if you... If you're reading it right, I think that is the, sort of the look that she gives when they kind of embrace each other. And then Peta goes for the throat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> chokes her to death. Almost. <laughs> Almost. Almost. Real close. Yeah. Uh, if if not for Boggs, who, who knocks him out with a chair. Knocks him unconscious. Uh, <laughs> and that would have been, and my note here was, holy cow, because it goes to black, and I thought the credits were going to roll, and I was yeah. going to stand up and applaud. I was like, that is one hell of an ending if the credits roll here. That would have been amazing, Would have been incredible. And so that's what I was hoping was going to happen. It doesn't. We get a few more scenes. According to Shelby, um, that what uh, she watched the special features. Mm-hmm. That was actually the original plan. Interesting. Was they originally were going, that, like that was the original mm-hmm. idea, was knock them out, roll credits. Like that's the end. And, I, and then eventually they decided against it. Um, and apparently it's hotly debated on the internet of what, you know, people, which ending people prefer. I do like the last scene of this movie. Yeah, I do too. Like with, with her yeah. with the speech and with Katniss seeing PETA in the, I like that, but man, that, 
That would have been for, a very effective ending. For the yeah. impact and for the like, just the the WTF moment of like the theater just, you know, oh god, like would have been so good. Um, I would have done. I give me executive producer power. I'm rubber stamping <laughs> that roll credits after they Boggs knocks him out, but. And then we get an explanation of uh, what's happened to him. Yeah. Um, and what hijacking is. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then we do find out that um, they let him letting them go and snow, like letting them cap mm-hmm. take PETA out was because, again, I read the first next couple chapters in the book and it is explained. Uh, Boggs is like, yeah, even even with all of our preparations, it was way too easy. If we hadn't rescued him tonight, they probably would have dropped him off on our doorstep next week yeah. to kill you or, so, you know, so that um, so that was, in fact, the plan. That wasn't like a the movie trying to add some weird drama or stakes that wasn't there. That is, in fact, what was going on. So, all right, that's it for all of our better end segments. We have a few odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. So we mentioned in the prequel episode that the costume designer who worked on the last film left. Yeah, to go do Gone Girl. Yeah, to do Gone Girl. And I was initially puzzled by that. But now upon seeing this movie, I feel like the District 13 costumes are pretty dull compared to the first two movies. Yeah. So I guess I get it. Really, the only fun costume, not the only, but like the main fun costume is Katniss's armor. Yeah. And everybody else just wears the same great jumpsuit. Like jumpsuits and stuff. So yeah, it's not <laughs> not a lot going on there for sure. Um, so we mentioned in the prequel that uh, Jennifer Lawrence cut her hair before this movie and is wearing a wig for yeah. all of this movie and the next one, I believe. But yeah, I actually re- I remember when she did the pixie cut and everybody yeah. was upset about it. Uh, it's a pretty obvious wig. Yeah, it's not distractingly it's not bad, horrible, but, but it is I a think wig. Even if I hadn't known that fact, I might have realized that was a wig. It's pretty apparently a wig, but <laughs> uh, yeah, which is yeah, it's whatever. There's a specific line that Effie has that I thought was funny. Um, she says to Katniss, "We will we'll make you the best dressed rebel in history." And the movie plays it as, like, a comforting line in that moment, which I get because, like, it's coming from Effie. But it still tickled me because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's a thing that Katniss has always cared deeply about. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things I noticed this time, which I don't know if I noticed as much in the, in the, uh, the previous movies, is how much the visual motif specifically the uh costumes for district 11 lean into some vaguely problematic caricatures Mm -hmm. and tropes for like uh southern black farmers yeah particularly of a certain time period like reconstruction and yeah slave times um they all have we see the a shot of them in like the square and I don't remember it being so overt in the pre and maybe I'm wrong. I, I felt like it wasn't quite as overt in but in the last one. They're all one. dressed like the dude from Song of the South in this yeah. one. Uh and like overalls and straw overalls hats. Overalls and straw hats in a way that and so like there's lots of things like so District Eleven, we talked at length in the previous episodes about 
we actually, I actually think that overall the what they're what Collins is doing with Eleven is like a very progressive idea of, of sort of um because uh, this whole thing's about class and and, mm-hmm. and the class disparity and that sort of thing. But then within that, still acknowledging racial disparities and how Eleven, a, a predominantly black district, faces discrimination and um horrible shit that like district 12 doesn't which is an equally poor district but they're all white people like yeah you know uh mostly white people that sort of thing um but yeah the, the that 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 characterization felt i was like wait I think it's something that they should have given way more thought to yeah because i, I you, you can see a similar type of shorthand like visual shorthand in other districts like the the lumberjacks for example yeah all look like very like stereotypical well, they look like, like lumberjacks. lumberjacks yeah and I, like and i think they should have yeah they should have given that way yeah, yeah. More again thought. it's it's just yeah it's especially because it's a thousand years in the future or whatever yeah. and the fact that they look like turn of the century like you know like 1900s reconstruction or whatever like yeah it, like i said it, they, they all look like the, i can't remember the character's name from song of the south like they're dressed like mm-hmm. uh, exactly like that character and i was just like oh that seems like we get it you don't we see that they're all black people they don't need to be dressed yeah. like slaves from yeah the, the american south like i i don't know it that felt a little weird to me maybe i don't know i i anyway my whole point was i'd like to hear a discussion on that we actually watched a video about rue from a youtube channel about mm-hmm. like rue and the whole controversy over her being black and stuff and in that video the 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 videos um writer and narrator i guess mentioned uh offhandedly about district 11 and some problematic stuff and and like mm-hmm. maybe that's a whole nother video and we both were kind of like what's we we at the time were like weren't like i had not gleaned any super problematic stuff about 11 in fact i i thought it was maybe like veering the other direction of being yeah. actually pretty progressive but I, and i don't know if this is what they were referring to or not um but I, I did think that that yeah that the I don't know they should have thought about that a little mm-hmm. more and maybe not, mm-hmm. not yeah taking, maybe like, even the maybe most not easy, like yeah yeah I don't know okay so I cannot stop trying to figure out where all of these districts are supposed to be because we know that Panem is America yeah and I cannot I cannot stop I want a map so badly. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, where the heck is District 13 supposed to be? Because it's got to be beyond Appalachia. Yeah, I think... Because Bonnie and Twill were going through 12 to get to 13. Yeah, I think you're right. Didn't you... Wait, did you not... Well, I, I had earlier, I was like, maybe it could be like the Pentagon. It, it's Washington, but, like, D.C., 100%. Washington, D.C., do they have... I was trying to think of like, where do they have nuclear weapons? It's D.C., 100%. Okay. It's got to be. Because yeah. most of the nuclear weapons are, like, out west, right? Most, a lot of them, yeah. But, I mean, east, the coasts, the coasts have right. the weapons. Yeah, the nuclear okay. weapons, yeah. But they're so also think everywhere. It's like, but so you think I think it's, yeah, DC. it's D.C. It's also why they have the infrastructure for bunkers. and. It, Fair enough. I, I think it's supposed to be D.C., yeah. At least that's my guess. Although we're not, they're not quite as close to the ocean as I would imagine. Well, I don't know. We don't ever see, like. Yeah, we only see kind of, like, forested area. Yeah, and, and, and D.C.'s inland a little bit. Whatever. Um. I, I think it's I think it's a hundred percent supposed to be DC. Yeah. Also, it's the place where the the new push for a republic is coming from. I think it's a hundred percent supposed to be DC. Would be my guess. Maybe like Philadelphia or something, but probably <laughs> DC. That would be my guess. I think one of the things that 
uh, the book does really effectively is the dueling tensions of, uh, is sort of dealing with the dueling tension of lying to Katniss for the greater good versus how that violates her autonomy. Mm-hmm. It's really messy. And I think Suzanne Collins does a really good job making it clear that it's not like a cut and dry answer. Like there's times where Gail and people lie to her and they like keep her out of the loop on stuff. And she always, it, obviously they're lying to her and, and they're using her at times in a way that violates her autonomy. But I think it's also one of those, it does kind of come down to a really interesting distinction of like, sometimes lying to her and again not things like overtly violating our autonomy but things like lying to her which Mm -hmm. is people lie to each other all the time for various reasons and i don't think they're all the same level of degree of like taking somebody's autonomy away they are to some extent but when you lie but point being that like they lie to her a lot of times for things and and i think we're supposed to see that as a violation of like her agency which it is to some extent but i think the fact that they kind of have to lie to her sometimes in order for certain things to transpire in order to overthrow a literal fascist dictatorship. I don't know. I think that Collins gives a balanced accounting mm-hmm. of both how that sucks and is terrible, but also it is what it is. I don't know. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I okay. get what you're saying. I did because that was the thing that happens throughout this book, uh, you know, where she gets upset about not being told things or not knowing things. And it's I don't know. I think it's it's never it, Collins doesn't come down hard on like one side or the other of which is correct, in my opinion, because I think they're both right. Yeah. In, in, in it's different a very ways. interesting exploration yeah. of that issue. Yeah. My last note here. I thought this was funny. When they're when they're sneaking into the Capitol to rescue Peta, it's dark because the power's out, and they're sneaking in in their hovercraft, which is super loud. Yeah. Yes. I thought it was funny when they, have they hear silent it. Silent hovercraft. We know the hovercrafts are loud. We've heard them. Yeah. To be fair, they don't. Ultimately, when we find out that they don't, they, well, they're I, letting I mean, them. They but know, yes, yeah, but like, initially, yeah. Yeah. They make this big thing about like, oh, it's dark so we can get in. They won't see us. There's <laughs> like, yeah, a jet hovering over your fucking <laughs> building. Yeah. But it's dark, so it's fine, guys. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, speaking of hovercrafts, my last note for odds and ends, and this is only in the book, is there's this whole part. I truly, and I mentioned this earlier, I truly do not understand the technology in this universe. It's my only problem because <laughs> overall I really do like the world building, but the technology and what they do and don't have in this universe is so wild to me. There's this moment in the book where Plutarch is reminiscing about how back in the day they had uh, fighter jets and uh, satellites and drones and he's and like uh, a certain missile. Like he's going on and on about all these weapons, like our modern day weapons mm-hmm. that we have in the world. And he's like, oh, they had all this cool stuff. And I'm like, bro, you have hovercrafts. That's what's confusing to me is that if you have the technology and the people who know how to design a hovercraft Mm -hmm. that and when I say hovercraft, this isn't like a hovercraft like we had like from like the 80s, you know, that has like a cushion of air and flies like six inches off the ground. These are like 
planes that can they're harrier jets it's that can just hover Star Wars yeah they're spaceships stuff. basically yeah. yeah they they fly like a they're they're yeah they're a harrier that just can maneuver um I don't know if you know what a harrier is but harriers are the jets that can they can vertically take off that have mm-hmm. the engines that rotate down and they can they have those but they can just go wherever they like the most advanced jet plane thing ever well beyond anything we're not well beyond we mm-hmm. could kind of do it if we thought it was probably worthwhile but very advanced technology. They have force fields. Yeah. They have force fields. <laughs> and he, he and they and he's he's reminiscing about drones? Yeah, why don't they have drones? Why wouldn't you have a drone? I I I don't know. I they have like... internet. They're hacking into the telecom stuff and and like hijacking like what I I I truly do I really, not understand the I feel the technology. like what we see here is a gap in Suzanne Collins knowledge base yes that is like i I feel like like she doesn't quite understand another piece of evidence (laughs) that she's an anprim that she wants to live out in the woods she doesn't understand technology like i mean genuinely though i feel like she doesn't understand like what some of this stuff is exactly yeah so it's kind of techno babble yeah i agree yeah 100 percent. and i i get like like drones, that makes no sense. I, I get satellites, I guess. I feel like it's conceivable that they could have lost that knowledge of how to like put uh, a satellite up into space. If you can, I, I, I disagree. And I could be wrong, <laughs> so maybe somebody could argue with me. If you can design the hovercrafts and build the hovercrafts that they have in these movies and these books, you can make a rocket and put a satellite in orbit. I'm sorry, you just can. We were putting... We're well, putting satellites in orbit in the sixties, in the fifties, or whatever. Like <laughs> no. it's, come on. We put a satellite in orbit with a freaking calculator. Like you can, put, uh, yeah. I, I, the technology it drives me crazy, and it's. I think it's just because uh, and Suzanne Collins is a luddite, but, um, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's the only thing I can think. All right, let's get to Katie predicting the Hunger Games trilogy. It's going to happen, Edward. So we've got Katie's part one predictions for The Mockingjay. You had five predictions here, it looks like. Mm -hmm. Let's run through them and see what you got right. Once they're in District 13, Katniss will come across either Bonnie or Twill, but one of them didn't make it. Half right. Both of them didn't make it. it, Yeah, I really thought we were gonna get one of them. Would have made sense. Yeah, I actually think that's a weakness. I think one of them should have made it. Yeah, it just feels like a weird loose end. That just like yeah, it's just like Like, why introduce that and then eh, it just seems like one of them should have made it or both. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I know this won't be the case, but I really want District 13 to randomly be a Jetsons-esque future utopia. Like without the capital, they were able to really develop their tech and thrive. Not not no, not, not exactly. Not, not Same exactly. tech as the capital. In yeah. fact, less tech, kind of in some ways. We got more of a dystopia yeah. than a utopia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Katniss will break out of wanting to just give up upon seeing Prim again. Uh, not, it's not no, Prim that not motivates really, yeah. that so much as lots of other events. But. Yeah. Uh, Katniss's mom will briefly think that Katniss is actually pregnant and be upset with her about it. That does not. Happen. No, it doesn't happen. She's in on the secret. That's I think. Oh, it is mentioned in the book. But they just kind of. They say that they're going to spread a rumor that she lost the baby because of the electric shock. Yeah. So they kind of just like brush, brush that whole thing away. She doesn't, isn't, I'm not, because I, I forgot that was your prediction. Isn't there a line in the early part of the book about telling your mom that it was a lie? I don't think so. Maybe I'm misremembering. I don't that. remember Maybe that. Maybe I'm thinking of this that you wrote and then. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. 
Uh, and then your last prediction was the capital is going to use PETA in like propaganda, and Katniss will be unable to handle seeing it. Boy, you nailed that so one. I, kn- I did nail that one. Nailed that Good one. Good job, me. Uh, so you got, uh, well, we'll say two out of five. Not too bad. Not too bad. Because the Bonnie and Twill one, basically, basically correct. Yours was better. You should have done what It was an improvement, it. It so was an we'll improvement count anyway, it. So we'll count it. All right. Here are Katie's predictions for Mockingjay Part 2. All right. So I know that Katniss is uh, heading off to District 2 in this second half of the book slash second movie. Um, so I am going to predict that when she's in District 2, she will unexpectedly see someone that she knows. I'm thinking like maybe one of the old peacekeepers from District 12 that she was kind of friendly with, um, and then be thrown off of her game by seeing this familiar face okay. in the midst of battle. The only, my only, okay, I'm not going to critique your predictions. Yeah, don't critique my Sorry. predictions. I just don't know if there are any peacekeepers left that she knows from 12, but that's fair. Well, okay, <laughs> we know we know that one of them became an AVOX, but we don't know what happened to the rest of them, True. technically. True, um, My next prediction uh, is that Peta will pretend that he's gotten Ooh. better, but really he hasn't, and he's going to make another attempt on Cadness's life. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, next prediction: Once Peta actually is better, because I'm I'm assuming he'll improve at some point. Maybe I'm wrong on that count, uh, but I'm assuming he'll improve at some point. Uh, and once that happens, uh, he and Katniss will get married for real. Maybe as like a propaganda thing. That would make sense. I don't remember. And my last prediction is that the rebellion will be ultimately successful, but Snow will somehow escape and Katniss will be paranoid about it forever. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Those are Katie's predictions for The Mockingjay Part 2. Before we get to our final verdict, we wanted to remind you that you can do us a giant favor by heading over to patreon.com slash this film is lit, supporting us there for $2, or $15 a month. All of that money supports the show and is very much appreciated. You can also do us a favor by heading over to social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Goodreads. Follow us on all those platforms and, uh, you know, we post stuff on there and it's cool and good and you should follow it. So there. Katie, it's time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. All right, we're going to do something a little different for the first time, maybe? Yeah, I don't think we've ever done this before. I thought there was one where you had, like, a question mark or something. I mean, I've, I've had ones where I kind I of didn't really didn't choose. choose. Yeah. But I feel like this is a little bit different because this is the first time we've done this specifically for a two-part yeah. so, property. So here's the thing. <laughs> uh, we had things we both liked about the movie and things we both liked more about the book. I mean, that's always the case. Right. But uh, overall, the movie was, again, a pretty accurate adaptation uh, compared to something like Harry Potter or mm-hmm. uh, even Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. These this. Uh, this these books or these movies are very very close like in comparison to those yeah to the books and it's super tough to pick one or the other before we get to the story's actual conclusion uh so what we're gonna do is we're gonna not pick one um <laughs> uh, we're going to wait yeah for now i think we're we're gonna wait because we, you know we were working on this earlier we were talking about it and i was like i just don't 
feel strongly yeah either way yeah. right now like i i don't feel like i have any strong feelings about it i will say this one was the closest i've been to picking the movie and i in fact may like it gun to my head i might pick the movie I, I agree with you actually this is this is the first time i've considered picking like if the i movie. if i if you're gonna like nail me down like you have to pick one i might pick the movie only mainly because not only mainly because it, it had two of my favorite scenes were complete movie editions mm -hmm. which were the lumberjack scene and the the bridge scene at the dam and apart from that the movie makes some smart changes and there's not a ton of major like there's nothing majorly bad like the movie doesn't make any like major like oh why did you why yeah there's a couple little things but nothing like ugh, like why would you do that or anything like that so overall I actually the the movie I might pick the movie like if you if, again if you want an answer for this if you're coming for the answer I, I'll say the movie I'll say it but we're holding out we're holding out right. judgment um, mainly for for part two so that we can get sort of more of a complete. Yeah, make a more complete like call on this yeah. one. And part of the where I'm struggling, I think, is that a lot of the changes that were made are things that I feel like I have to see how, how they it play out, out. Yeah. before I can figure out if I like that change or not. That was a big thing I talked about earlier with the, some of the changes to District 13 and Coin and where all that goes and like. I don't know how I feel about that yet because I don't know how it ends. Yeah. So it's tough to I, decide. Like, uh, yeah, like not knowing what the movie is going to do, if anything, yeah. with those changes. I, I just feel very... Very... It's very hard to give it... Yeah. Uh, to, to pass a verdict on it. Um, but like I said, that being said, this is by far the one that's the closest and, 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 and even leaning towards the movie. Uh, although I did enjoy... So just to get back to some of the stuff I've talked about for myself, having watched or read this books before, I did much prefer the first half of this book over my reading it the first time. Mm -hmm. um, there were still elements I didn't like of it, uh, and there were still things that I found a little unsatisfying. But overall, I think I did. I, I enjoyed it a lot more. I appreciate what Collins is going for more than I did when I was 20 or whatever when I read this the first time. Or I was probably like 21 or 22. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, I was in my early 20s. Uh, when I read it the first time, it was 10 years ago. Um, so but I, so I did enjoy it more. But uh, I, I thought the movie did a, a really good job. Uh, and, and just um, we'll see. We'll see when we get to part two. So there you go. <laughs> Sorry. That's what's happening. Um, but please do. Uh, we are going to be putting up our usual poll. Um, so if you want to talk about if you have a preference between book and movie for this one, or maybe you agree with us yeah. um, and want to talk about that as well, um, we will be doing our usual polls. Please re reply to them quickly. Quickly, because we're doing <laughs> because the prequel we'll episode the immediately. Prequel episode, yeah. Like right away. Yeah. Yep. So uh, get your you'll post you probably post the, the those polls on like Wednesday or Thursday. Thursday, probably maybe? thursday yeah yeah and then we're, we're gonna record like saturday so so you got a couple days so if you want to weigh in get it out there yeah or we might even record friday i whatever we're gonna record very quickly after the polls go up so get on it quick katie what's up next they already know but just say it anyways up next we have the hunger games mockingjay part two the conclusion we're wrapping this whole thing up and we'll finally know how this thing, I'm so excited because again, I remember so little 
about how it ends. I'm so excited to finally remember and see what it is I didn't like and see if I like it more because <laughs> we're so close. I'm I'm like 130 pages away from the end of the book. I can taste it. I can taste it. We're almost closing almost out there. the summer series. So close. That's going to do it for this week. Uh, we'll see you in exactly one week's time for the finale of our summer series and the finale of the Hunger Games. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being awesome. awesome.